weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weird Science DC Comics Podcast, episode 504, legacy number 504. And we have a doozy of a doozy tonight. We have a bunch of books, a bunch of co-hosts still. Eric is still not back. When he comes back, we'll all be happy. But as we have been doing, we're going to have to keep the show going on. And I did get some people asking about Eric this week. A lot of people ask every day about Eric. And I tell them he said he's going to come back when he is ready to come back. So we will end up going with that. But also asking me if I was okay. And actually asking if I was a bit depressed, you know, the whole rigmarole of not having Eric around. And yeah, it sucks not having him around. I'm enjoying having all the co-hosts. But one of the things that some people did point out, that with the co-host, I might not be as goofy as it has been at some points. And I do admit that a lot of times I'm trying to make sure everything is going smoothly. And as I ease into things with a bunch of the other people, things will get a little goofier i promise that but also i do have to admit that maybe i have been a bit down maybe i forgot about the skewering and reviewering that eric would always talk about so i think that this podcast i did go into it with the intent of having a little bit more fun i'm not going to fake the funk and say books that are bad or good we don't play that game here right but I did eventually in this podcast. Now, when it first starts out, you might be like, where's the skewering and reviewering? It's tough. We end up starting out with the Gotham War. It's tough to have fun with that. But even so, I tried to have a lot more fun. I hope that that comes through. I hope that people enjoy that and have some more fun listening as well. But before we do get into all of that, let me remind you all the places you can find us on the intranets. You can go over to the Twitters and follow us at Weird Science DC. Follow us, we'll follow you back. Then go to our website, WeirdScienceDCComics.com, to check in on Gabe and all his sus reviews. And really, I'm telling you, please check in on Gabe and his sus reviews. Report back to me if things get wacky. Also, go over to our YouTube channel, Weird Science Comics. And I haven't been able to do as many videos as I've wanted to because of all, you know, all the stuff going on of trying to just get this regular podcast out without Eric. As I said before, it's tough because we used to record one time a week for three hours or so. Instead of that, these are like one hour, seven, eight times. It, it, it gets more. It, it's a lot more work and I haven't had as much time for the videos, but eventually we'll get back to those but also then go to our patreon patreon.com slash weird science where you can get a bunch of exclusive content plus you can help us out for everything that we're doing here on the regular feed and one of the big things we always talk about and i'm going to mention here is the dc comics badass patreon spotlight a show with two books of that week picked by the badasses of the get fresh crew in a poll that's on the patreon this week they ended up deciding to go big they didn't go home. They went big. They took Flash number one, the big issue of the week, and also Power Girl number one. Not really the big issue of the week, but still, it's a Power Girl number one, though. It might have been a number two. I don't know. You'll have to go and check that out. It's a almost two-hour-long show. Me and Jason talked about Flash, and me and Stuart talked about Power Girl. But as I already said, those two books were picked by the badasses of the Get Fresh group. Boop, and it, so if you have problems, you go go take it up with them. 
They picked the books, but why I ended up bringing them up again is because it's time for their roll call. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. I can get Eric mad if he's listening to this as I do my freestyle rapping that pretty much you'll think I'm Eminem, right? Oh, my God. But here we go. We have Stephen, Fat, Dad, Mitchell, Trevor, Dad Nation, yeah, yeah. Eric K, Jeffrey Greig, Zach Walker, he'll be joining me later. The Annihilator, Ted Probst, I love Punchline. Stork, Stork there in the Pittsburgh area, probably saying Yins want to go to Denny's for a hot plate. Michael S, Cam, Matt Razor, Niels T. Wurt. Niels over there in the fatherland of Germany. David Fink, Stephen Baum, Jason Colby, Sue 42 to you and me. Michael G, Ken Halleck, Comic Boom Rocky. Tommy Dreamer. Oh, my. Mark Jager, Bill Bear from the Bat Pod. Ruben, Carlos, the Wolf Marv, Matthew Rapier. He got a hold of me. His kid ended up taking his keys and hiding them just like Batman and Superman in this past week's Silver Age Comics Podcast on the Patreon. We got Luke Hollywood. He'll be joining me later. Simon joining me later. Luis Manship. Andrew and Belfast, Swanee, Anthony G, Josh Vermillion, Batman Beyond, Mark, who will have it. I ran out of music because I'm talking. Hey, it's back. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I hit the music for just two more names, but we'll rewind a little. Batman Beyond, Mark, who will be talking about Batman Beyond later. He's going to be on the podcast talking by himself because I don't deal with that nonsense. Brandy Murray, B. Murr, Brandon up there in Buffalo. I think that might be Canada. It may not be him and his bills. Me and him have been talking a couple books as well over on the Marvel side of things and also our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles podcast we have on the Patreon. And Double Aaron doxing his ass in Minnesota. Double Aaron has gone through that process. I just hit that. He's gone through the process of discovering more and more manga and getting obsessed with it. And I love to see that. I love to see somebody get obsessed with any sort of comics. But manga, when people go in, it's a deep dive because there's so much available. It's so crazy. It's like brand new world opened up in front of you. He is deep diving, and he may even join me on our Dragon Ball Manga Reading Club podcast that we have over on the manga side of things. There's a lot of stuff going on here at the Weird Science offices. I'd also like to give a shout-out to the all-time grapes, Rob Lewis, and Reginald Drinkwater. Give a shout-out. Hope Eric is feeling better and will end up coming back eventually. With all that, though, we have a bunch of books. Sus Gabe, we got Simon, Luke Hollywood, that drunkard. Everybody's joining me for a fun time podcast, and we'll go on to that right now.
Scott the Moore, and here we go. Starting this week, I got my man Gabe. What up, Gabe? What up, Jim? Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to being Gotham War Gabe once again. Yes, here we go. And we we end up, (laughs) usually I will, uh, you know, put something by Matthew Rosenberg of this quality at the end of the podcast. But I figured we'll start it off because it's Gotham War and everybody loves Gotham War, right? You enjoying it so far, Gabe? Everybody loves Gotham War. It's the talk of the town. It is but, down at the rec no, center and the All the cool this. kids are, are, are talking about it. Yeah, I, I <sighs> don't think they're cool anymore. And mm. they're talking about this, and me and you, before we started this, we were trying to figure out, you know, the big questions in life. You know, you know, why are we here on Earth, and why does this book exist? Those were the two questions of life. Because there is no reason for this book to exist. It is a money cash grab through and through. That's all it seems to be because there's no story here. The characters are written awfully. I mean, it's just bad. And we'll get into this. I I don't think that we're going to surprise anybody with this one. I think this issue is basically designed to try and explain Jason Todd's presence and what he's doing and what's motivating him within the context of the, the greater Gotham War. But I think I, I came out of this issue more confused about Jason than I was going into it. So I'm not sure if it, it, it did what it was supposed to. Yeah, I mean, he he does stupid things. And again, it's Matthew Rosenberg who it seems to be the idea. Oh, look, Matthew Rosenberg, he has Jason Todd in his Joker, the Man Who Stopped Laughing book. So we'll tie that in here. But it's barely a tie into that anyway. And that's a book that's been canceled. So why would you want to tie into that? And then, like you said, he seems to right now be the Jason Todd guy. Please, he shouldn't be the Jason Todd guy. He shouldn't really be anybody guy because nothing that he does in my mind is hitting. Uh, people might like the Wildcat stuff. That's fine, but that's kind of a side deal. I just I just don't get why they have this book. But it is the Batman Catwoman, the Gotham War, Red Hood, number one, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Nicola Cismazizia. If that's how you say it, colors by Rex Locus, letters by Trey Petiri, edited by Ben Abernathy. Ben should, you know, maybe get on the job here and start telling people that they're writing characters way out of character and maybe ruining them in just a lame side book because this really makes Jason a real piece of shit. I mean, this really makes Catwoman look worse than she was already. And that's where I think that this Gotham War is missing Maybe the gentle touch, Gabe, like the gentle touch that you and me love, the idea that she is doing it in a little bit for the love of Bruce and Batman. I said this before, maybe play the idea that he has been so overworked. And while he was sleeping for two months, she wanted to make things better so he could. But no, it's just set up as this weird, like everybody's angry. Everybody's trying to prove that they're right, but there's no right. And you see what they're doing is completely wrong. And in this book, it makes it worse. We get another death by the end that I don't even know why or what. But Jason is just over the top violent. Matthew Rosenberg shows that he thinks that Jason is just an over the top violent prick. Rosenberg's painting Jason as um, kind of a, a punisher light, right? He's just beating up and, he, and he's willing to come close but maybe not as far as killing people. And as far as Catwoman's motivation, I mean, we're up to speed on all the issues in this event. Right now, I haven't seen anything that clearly defines why Selina is going down the path she's going and why she's trying to do what she's doing. I mean, we're, we're postulating, we're, we're adding those theories to it, but from, from what I can tell, and one of the hardest things to, to not to do, do as a reviewer is to insert your headcanon and, and, and explain what hasn't been explained. 
to try and make sense of it all, and that's completely natural. But, I mean, if I go back and I look at all the issues that we've covered so far, there is nothing in here that that explains why Selena went down this path and what she did during those eight weeks while Bruce was in a coma. There's just nothing there. I thought that the big play of this was that when Batman tranked Red Hood and then when, you know, Jason wakes up and says, what did you do? Something I'm not proud of. I thought we were going to get more of that, but we really don't. We get into this of just, hey, I'm Jason Todd. I'm here. I want to find where the Joker is. And I'm just going to join up for that. That's like that's Jason's motivation, which at the end pisses off Catwoman. But everybody has their motivations. I mean, these these henchmen, their motivation is to go and not get beat up and, you know, maybe make some money. Everybody has a deal just because Jason just ends up asking a couple guys, hey, what did you do when you were with the Joker? What does he hang out? Whatever. Why is that such a big play? And I really wish that this was one of those. And I thought it might be. That we were going to see that wink, wink that Jason actually was trying to figure out, you know, if this was okay, what Captain was doing and maybe doing it to check it out for Batman and the Bat family just to kind of get the guy inside. Doesn't have to be a double agent type of deal, but maybe that he was curious. Okay, I want to see what this is really. But he just is there maybe to find out about the Joker and beat the shit out of everybody. I mean, he's going to be the trainer. You know, to have these people fight and whatnot, but he just seems just over the top violent. Like I said, he just seems off. The the voices of any character in this are way off in my mind. The whole the whole crux of this issue is is Jason's doing everything that he can possibly do to get information and get him closer to Joker. As it's not like he hasn't had a chance to interact with Joker once prior to this. Second, that 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 kind of tells me that when Rosenberg was crafting the story, assuming this was all his idea, I don't know if it is, but maybe it was that he's really going with like the. The, the surface level kind of Wikipedia version of Jason Todd's highlights of his career. Right from this Joker, the man has stopped laughing. Jason's in that book trying to find the Joker. That's all this is. And and in there, you yeah. don't really define it very well. And so you end up having a guy who legitimately has been writing a year's worth of kind of Jason. He kind of pops in and out, but he's the main figure in that book. He doesn't get the character. He And again, he, the setup might have done it, but still... This is, again, Jason, who they even have to show him breaking into a cop car with a crowbar. Like, it's just basic bitch Jason. And that's why he never evolves. That's why he's always the dupe and shit like this. Because it's like Guy Gardner with the Green Lanterns. Nobody wants to end up, you know, evolving them. So they go back to their basic deal of, okay, I'm the, you know, the Robin who ended up killing. I was dead. I ended up with the Joker. And at this point, yeah, maybe you should get past it, Jason. Uh, again, though, I, the only reason they have this, I think, is because he's doing the Jason trying to track down both Jokers in that Joker, the man who stopped laughing. And it's just nonsense. So, yeah, well, why would you t- why would you tie into a series that's been canceled that because nobody's reading it? Because it's his series. I guess. I, maybe they decided they're going to have the times now just as a, a generalized deal overall. Like it, we had night terrors. People got upset about those tie-ins, but that was an event. This this Gotham War, it's not even good enough to really go through two books, let alone have a two-shot tie-in. There's no reason for it. So if you're going to do it, you know that these tie-ins like this aren't going to really expand the story because you can't really count on people getting them. So they're going to be little. this does nothing. It doesn't do anything except probably piss off Jason Todd fans. Because it's that bad. I mean, I'll give I'll give uh, Rosenberg credit. I mean, he he needed to do a, a, a 
a Red Hood focused story, and he's doing that. So you're, yeah, you're getting Red Hood, he's, <laughs> Red, Red Hood in it. He's on every page. But what, I mean, one of the I think besides Selena's baffling plan to create a like a henchman union, which is the kind of the foundation of this whole event, and it's dumb. Uh, just it, it falls apart with just a, the, the slightest amount of pressure. Uh, the one of the things that's been probably more baffling is Red Hood's behavior through the entire event because he went from uh, hey, let's hear Selena out to hey, I think she's got a point to hey, let me get let me get in with her to see if I can help her kind of bring Bruce over to her side. Now where he's not only participating in the robberies, but he's also training the henchmen. So he's he's complaining about making the henchmen like you know smarter and more dangerous potentially if they ever go back but at the same time he's the one that's training them to do that and and i want to point I out don't again, because, a little bit but yeah well, i said that. it before i mean here's the deal Catwoman, that they claim is the world's greatest criminal now she's going to teach these henchmen that are used to you know shooting people beating them up she's going to teach them to do it better you're going to be stealthy you're going to be catwoman esque you're going to go do cat burglaries hey everybody works out we're stealing from the rich why every time we see training, it's full out combat training. You, yeah. you are setting up this so people aren't going to get hurt. And remember, it's not just death. You're setting it up to and saying there's no more violent crimes, but she's training them to be violent. And it happens here. Jason beats the living crap out of these guys so that they're ready to what? Sneak in Mission Impossible style with a zip line and steal a diamond? What are they going to beat up the the you know the laser technology? That's it, it's nonsense. So when you have I, this, I'm, even that you, you have Jason, well, one guy says, "I think I'm out here." That guy's the smart guy. Jason says, "You're the smart one." That <laughs> guy gets the hell out, right? I'm kind of getting tired of saying this phrase. It makes no sense. No, the, it the doesn't. Whole, the whole the whole premise here is they don't want violent crime. They don't want people getting hurt. They don't want these henchmen doing violent things. And yet, the half of the montage for their training is them in a ring with Jason, where he's showing them how to snap bones and break jaws. Yeah, that's all. What, he's doing. what was the what's the point? I don't know. I, I mean, really, <laughs> I uh, yeah, hey, hey, it looks like the door's locked. Well, it looks like we're gonna beat the shit out of it. Like, is that what they're doing? <laughs> they're now the cat burglar slash violent. I, I don't know. So here's the other thing: Jason does show these guys a lot because there's these two guys. You know what he shows Simpson and Bash? His face. He actually is coming in as Red Hood. Why didn't Matthew Roosevelt know and be smart enough that Jason Todd comes in as, hey, this is my long lost cousin, Tommy, if you're not going to keep your mask on? He is Red Hood. He talks about Batman. He talks about all the training he got, all that. And then within two pages, he is there with them without a mask on. He is exposing his identity. You can say these guys are dumb or whatnot, but you can't do that. You can't end up telling people you're Red Hood and then just go around without a mask on. And he does it throughout this whole play. These guys can end up having a mint. Just take one little picture, say, this is Red Hood. You end up and Batman's done, too. So it's just not even thinking that through. And I hate when you read issues where as you're going through, you realize that it's just the play is so ridiculous within its own story that it's just insane. He's there. And again. He's there, you see, he's very recognizable with that stupid gray patch of hair that makes him look like Jason Blood anymore. There's no way people aren't going to be able to tie this together. And there he is doing the thing. You have a small army of henchmen that would that are all have ties to one or more 
multiple, uh, you know, rogues from everything from Joker to, to Scarecrow, which comes up as a, as a prevalent part of this story and, and everyone in between. And you're telling me that one of them would, would be thinking, hey, maybe I can get back in with my old boss. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I, maybe he would be, maybe he'd be grateful for it. this information. Maybe he'd pay me money if I told him who this guy really was. I mean, get that's, a sketch artist, even, uh, but take a picture. And, and that's the thing, too. They're henchmen. They're not this? reliable. They're not trustworthy. No, they're, they're henchmen. not trustworthy. And they are, at least, you know, they might be dumb, whatever you could say, but they're yeah. seasoned in fighting Batman and the Rogues Gallery. A lot of them even play the idea that they fought Jason before. They fought Batman. This does not take a, a rocket surgeon to figure out that Jason Todd, Red Hood, here we go. And then everything falls apart. And several of them have probably been in jail at least once or more, probably because they were put there by him. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, they probably know and have fought him as well. Like, oh, that's who you are? Okay, I'll keep that in mind. As you have all yeah. this, I'm like, this is ridiculous. Why even then, like I said, come in and say, oh, by the way, I'm going to have you train. And maybe here's a funny play. And again, we're not here to tell the story our way, but. You have Jason Todd come in as, you know, Selena's long lost cousin, you know, Jimmy Boy. Jimmy Boy starts training him, and one guy actually says, You know, you seem a lot familiar to me the way you just beat me up. I've been beat up like that before. And that would be kind of a funny little tension there. Oh my God, he might find out. Not here. He just takes the, he's out and about. They're out on the town together. He has this little ski mask deal on or this little cap there. But still, you end up where, again, he is teaching them. A couple things. Breaking into a police car. Okay. Yep. He ends up where he then like, you know, hey, you got to trust me. I'm going to beat the shit. All these things going on, but then takes him to a biker bar that used to be that henchman bar. Now is the biker bar. And you end up having Bash, who you start the whole play of this whole deal, which seems to be like the basis of a, a tie-in two-issue mini seems to be that Bash who used to be a Scarecrow henchman. He's afraid the Scarecrow's going to come back and take vengeance on him for quitting. That's what we get. So you have Jason Todd, but really this is a bash story. But then Jason says, yeah. oh, we're, by the way, we're, we're training you to be cat burglars, nonviolent criminals, so that Gotham gets better. All right, I'm going to start a biker bar brawl, and you guys aren't allowed to be violent. That, but that this is the thing. That doesn't make sense. All he's doing is training them to take a punch. What? What? Why? The, the whole idea is to avoid violence altogether. Exactly. And I'm here. If I'm Bash, or and I keep forgetting Bash and Simpson. If I, I'll say I'm Simpson. Yeah. Bash. He does at the end. Spoiler. Sounds order. like an R and B duo from the seventies. Yeah, 70s. it does. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna sing. Don't make me sing. <laughs> I, I won't either. Yet, but you have this here. I might later. You have this here going on, and you're training them to. But if it was me, if I'm Simpson, I say, well, wait a second. Isn't Selena supposed to be training us to be better so we don't get caught? Because all this is, is if you get caught, don't kill the people that are trying to beat you up. But unfortunately, as we saw earlier in this event, most of the people that will catch you will have guns, which ends up happening here as well. And, and yep. in that, he ends up like, hey, uh, do you know anything about the Joker? You ever hang out with the Joker? Man, we don't really know about the Joker. Oh, man, sucks being you. Hey there, biker guys. These guys say you suck and then walks out. And then while he walks out, like Selena just shows up in the alley and they start yelling at each other about this. And it even ends up it, like it's so not these characters, especially Selena. I think that they're just worried. Like nobody knows how to write Selena at this moment. Teeny Howard's terrible. She does the solo book. Yep. 
And you see that Matthew Rosenberg, like Matthew Rosenberg is just writing everybody is ang- ramped up angry. That's all there is in this. Everybody's angry. And I thought that you would have seen the opposite since Selena's trying to make things different. But she's pissed. She's yelling at Jason. Oh, man, you better not get people killed here, whatnot. Well, you already did, Selena, but still. And and so you end up, these guys end up being beat up. They end up in the alley beat up by these Vikings. And they're like, hey, they're not dead. Good job. And then they seemingly, I don't know, I, I got the idea they just left them. But poor Bash goes home and has a nightmare, maybe, about the yep. Scarecrow. Because maybe the Scarecrow really is there the way that we play at the end. It might be the case. But he's so concerned and upset and worried that the Scarecrow is going to get him. and. You can play it in your mind. It's not that well played out in this of a guy that you could have went in my mind with what happens when you've been around the scarecrow so long and that, you know, fear toxin might be in your blood and you end up all this, that it could be something that that shows you why Selena would be in the right to get him away from these people. But it just plays off as just surface level and, and like a hack. I, I Seriously. But yeah. you go because then. They go and Jason comes in to talk. Like, Jason at this point, why even put on the Red Hood shit? There's no reason for it. We know that they know who you are. And he comes in to yell and unfortunately bash. He he had a nightmare about the, the you know, Scarecrow. We get another yep. page of him just saying, oh, look, Simpson says, oh, Bash had a nightmare as he runs off scared. Ah, get the, shut the hell up and runs off. I'm like. You're wasting a lot of time. You're- Bash has a nightmare or, or, or a vision, or actually he does get a visit from, from Scarecrow, maybe. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. And somehow he, I get it's never explained. It's never shown. Scarecrow just kind of puts the, the fear of the Scarecrow in him, I guess. And so when they're, when they're meeting the next day to talk about their first big job where uh, they're going to go out and do what they need to do, uh, Bash is, is just super nervous. He's super amped up, and, he, and he's like jumping at shadows. And that's somehow freaking him out. And you're right. Jason shows up in full costume. Is why? Why bother? They they've seen your face. They know what you look like. There's no reason for that. So they so they just prepare to kind of go out for their first like big union job, if you want to call it that. And and it just it goes badly. It goes really badly because Bash is just nervous and he's jumping at shadows and he's doing all the things that he's not supposed to do, which is basically prepare for fight, carry a gun, which he's not supposed to have, and then they get. Because he's paranoid. And and so when you look back at it, the weird play here is, again, you have what looks like, in my mind, that the Scarecrow actually visited him. He says, you know, hey, he goes, sweet dreams. It's important to be ready for your new job. So it looks like if you really play it out, that Scarecrow is trying to just mess things up to maybe put an end to this henchman. But it's such a convoluted deal, especially by the end. Where it looks like he might, like he could have killed him right now. But I think he, he, you're supposed to believe that Scarecrow's trying to put a a wrench in the works here, where he's going to end up. And and you could say that at this point, Bash is still being affected by the fear toxin. That's why he's antsy. That's why he ends up, oh my God, the Scarecrow's going to come and get us. Oh my God, oh my God. And what he ends up doing is just running off during a robbery to then trip the alarm. But I don't really know why, because it seems like they would have disabled the alarm to get in there but then he trips it on the way out running which then alerts the police security whatever it would be but it looks like a policeman who comes in draws his gun this guy's not doing anything but his job and i've been bitching and moaning that the police and security aren't doing their jobs up to this point 
And this guy is just there as a prop because you end up having Jason in the shadows just come in and you have this crazy deal. This guy doesn't want to be involved in this. His gun is shaking. He's upset. He's saying, I, you know, I, I got to arrest you guys. Jason's saying, listen, like they disabled all the cameras in this place, but didn't disable the one alarm that you end up having Bash go through to set. It makes no sense. But the guy doesn't want to kill anybody. The guy doesn't want to do it. And Jason, like, kind of promises that maybe he won't get fired, but that you're messing with people like that. But then Bash freaks out and pulls out a gun and Bash. He's Bash. He bashes the guy over the head with a pistol whip of the gun, and he's going to shoot him dead because he's paranoid that the scarecrow sent him because of the fear toxin, you would think. And that's where Jason then beats the living crap out of him. He ends up in, and it's one of those where, I'm surprised he didn't bring up Batman. Batman, you jerk. Like, he's like, really seems like he's letting out a lot of frustrations on this bash. You're going to ruin things. I'm going to beat you up. He even ends up hitting, you know, Simpson, who came in to try to stop. You're about to kill him. Come on now. And you said the best is like the whole play of no violence as Jason is just destroying this guy who unfortunately seems like he is affected by the fear toxin. But He's like, oh, I love here now. They end up, why would they put the stuff back now? Are, are you with me? Because Jason says, put the, the why? I mean, the, the, the one panel that you're referring to is like a half page panel where you're right. Jason's beating the snot out of bed. I mean, he's like, he's bashing bash, right? I mean, you see blood everywhere. He, his, his skull is getting practically caved in. And the irony of that is Jason saying, I, I said, no one gets hurt. At the same time, he's, he's beating bash to death practically speaking and so there's kind of a weird irony about how that and this is one of those panels where you you can say we can interpret it in multiple ways you could say he's really saying it but he just this is jason's work so he doesn't have you know he doesn't have self-discipline and self-control he doesn't have that boundary to hold himself back or you could also say that he's like projecting his hatred for joker or whoever else on bash and and he's unstable himself and, and you can, and if it, and if it goes, and if it goes, you know, if it goes down that way, you can almost interpret it as, as saying Rosenberg and everything about the the war is trying to turn Jason into a villain, which he's sort of an anti-hero sort of villain. But I mean, this is really pushing the boundary of of going down that path. So I, again, there's so many different ways you can interpret this, and and none of them are particularly good. You just don't get what they're trying to say here. I mean, you see what they're doing, but at the same time, how am I supposed to? What am I taking away from this message? And it. it for Jason, none of it is good. It yeah, and I, I get like Simpson would start talking to the other people because it does also look like, hey, Jason doesn't care about us. He cares more about this random cop that we didn't know because he's, yeah. you know, really upset about that. So, you know, where is the deal going, especially talking a lot about, you know, loyalty and things. And you have to watch out with these henchmen, whatnot. But he tells them, you take back, put back the stuff you stole and then you'll have to deal with Catwoman. I'm like. Why would you do that? That's just ridiculous. But you end up where Catwoman's pissed off. You have Dario here who looks like a Hulk. But every time we see Dario now, the guy gains like four inches and 10 pounds of muscle. Now he's this big brute who can stop Jason from doing things. He was never that. Yeah, he, he looks like, like a bouncer. He looks like yeah, a bouncer. He was like a chubby guy who, you know, that was his thing. But now he's this brute of a man. And yeah, Bash isn't doing well. Oh, we're having some problems. And then you get this whole play again with Selena, might be a little drunk there, drinking, who ends up saying, what the hell happened last night? 
And Jason says, uh, yeah, Bash almost killed a cop. And I know some people are going to have problems with this. He says, Bash almost killed a cop. And Selena says, could be worse. He could have almost killed an innocent person. Like that cop did anything but try to not do anything bad. The guy was begging to not have to do anything bad to them. He was begging, I don't want to shoot anybody. Please, I have a job here. You put me in a bad situation. He seemed very nervous, very upset that he was going to lose his job. And here's Selena just whitewashing the whole deal of saying police are bad. And that, that that's the problem here. You are doing nonviolent crimes. That's fine and dandy. But you're also committing crimes where police are going to have to stop you. That doesn't mean they're bad. You are the bad people here. You're the ones committing crimes. Yes, police are going to come in. She almost plays it off as if a cop died there. Oh, well, it's a guilty person. No, you're guilty. In fact, you should be hunted down for murder. You're still wanted for murder. You escaped from a jail. And you're sitting there saying, well, it could have been an innocent person. <laughs> he. And then Jason says, you think this is funny? This is bullshit. And then Catwoman calls him out. You're just here to get the Joker. You're just here to get the Joker. Who cares? Everybody has their own motivation. I wish he said, why the fuck are you here? What are you doing? Because she almost feels like at points she wants to prove Batman wrong, stick it to him. She wants to be rich, whatever. Everybody's going to have their motivations. Yeah, some of these henchmen's motivations are getting away from the bad guys, the, the rogues gallery. You would think that, what, is Jason just going to forget that he has these issues? Like you said, it's the one issue that they always keep forcing, but it's no shock. And she's just berating him about an obsession, and he just kind of, like, yells about it kind of half-assed. He doesn't really say, like, you know, what's up with you? What are you doing? But ends up saying, the hell with this. Get me away. I love that Dario's holding him back. It reminds me of an asshole in a hockey fight that the ref comes. And, and they try to pretend the ref is holding them back because there's no way the ref could, but they'll pretend that, try to reach over like they're tough guys. Yeah. I hate those guys. But yeah, and he just like, fuck this, I'm out of here. And then he goes to then find Bash. This looks like it's his apartment. He goes in. I did, just a scene. He crawls in the window, which I don't know why he has to do that. But then the lights go on. He's right next to Bash's body. The lights go on. It's Steph. Steph, what are you doing here? St did Steph set this up? Like, she knows what this is. Know. She already saw it. Did she have the light? Oh, Jason's coming. Turn off the lights. Turns it off. It's like a surprise fucking birthday party. Surprise! He's dead. And there he is. He's dead. And it says, get your own toys, Red Hood. And they say there's traces of fear toxin present in the air. Me and you were talking about that earlier. That's just from the night before when the scarecrow came to screw with them. So, yeah, there you go. You find out at the end it was him being kind of mind-controlled a bit or a scared because of the fear toxin. But where does that get you? Because then she says, this is bad. And he goes, I'm afraid it's about to get much worse. How? How do you, why do you think that? The one guy who kept yelling and screaming about, the, the, the you know, scarecrows after me, scarecrows after me. There you go. But why is it that if this is the scarecrow who did this, why is he after Red Hood? I know Red Hood trained the why is he after? Woman. Why is he after Cat? Why, yeah, why is he after Cat? This was her plan. This whole no, thing is it, her plan. I know why. Because Red Hood's the tie-in book, and it has Red Hood. Uh, no, it should be Red Hood, get your cat away from people, bitch. I don't know what it would be, but why a Red Hood? Why Red Hood? He's just there. And then you're tying in the Joker because of the obsession of Jason. 
And that muddies up shit too, really. You shouldn't yeah. even bring that in because that muddies up the whole play. This should just be scarecrow deal. But even so, we have like there's one thing I can say, two things that I like about this. We've been saying, like, why aren't the villains fighting back? Well, he is now. Scarecrow looks like he's pissed. But the other thing is, and you mention it in passing a bit, the idea that Jason says to Catwoman, all you're doing is training these henchmen to be better for when they go back to their ropes, when they go back to being the henchmen they were before, because we know that's going to happen. And it's true. And yeah, and they kind of push that away. This is bullshit, though. I mean, it's just a nothing story to tell just nothingness and get these characters so wrong to make you now hate. Like, actually, I'll ask you right now. This is where I'll go with the deal. Who are you rooting for in the stupid Gotham War? Because there's nobody to really root for. You 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 think everybody's dumb and everybody's doing, but it isn't something where you're online. Like this could have been something like again, it's playing off like a bullshit, stupid civil war. Like yeah, you'd be online. I I'm with Steve. I'm Team Tony. Here, yeah. there's nobody getting involved. It's just like the idea of night terrors when I said nobody is trying to guess who insomnia is because it's going to be bullshit, and it was. Oh, nobody's trying to guess where the nightmare stone is because it's going to be bullshit, and it was. There's nobody online saying, I'm Team Batman. Batman really does this, that, or Selena's right. Nobody is because this sucks. And and then by the end, you're just like, this makes it worse. This makes me hate everybody. But well, well, having read through, having read through the whole thing so far, just all the different parts and all the times and everything else, the only person who signed on Mon right now is Damien. <laughs> That's he, the only one. Because I'm he, with him. Because because he saw the cool hand. He's like, where can I get one of those? And that made me laugh. So I, I like that one a bit. I'll um, even just go base level. He's there for his father. There you yeah, go. Exactly. I want my there, kids I mean, to be there for that's me. That's a motivation I can get behind. Sure. That's it. So, yeah. It, but I but I but, but but that word is the key to why this whole thing, where where it relies on this one thing, but also at the same time why this whole event doesn't work. It's all about motivations. Now, so if you if you take about if you take a look at this one, right? So we we have no idea what Catwoman's motivation is in all of this because it's never explained and she never really spells it out, or you never really see it from a flashback or anything. The problem then when you get into Red Hood is. First, he starts off with the motivation of, uh, you know, getting after Joker, but at the same time, he starts training Selena, which he doesn't need to do that to get the information out of the henchmen. He could have just picked any, picked up any one of them at any time, which he saw in the very beginning, but for some reason, he decides to help Selena because that gets him what he wants, which, it, which, which doesn't make any sense. And then the whole thing about the henchmen with, with their union is they are motivated to kind of not have to deal with crazy rogues and, you know, get better payoffs and not have to deal with violence and do all these things that, like, that somehow they're, you know, uh, they're unwilling participants in, in what, you know, uh, Freeze or Scarecrow is doing, which is not true. On its face is not true. But what happens is now because of the way Jason's acting, he's acting just as bad as the rogues. Why would a henchman want to continue with training? No, they're just getting beat up. If you make a mistake, he's going to be, he's going to beat you to a pulp if you make a mistake. Just imagine, you're like, I'd rather go back to the Joker. <laughs> he's being beaten up he's by He's crazy, Jason. but at least he doesn't try to kill me every five minutes. And, and then uh, there's, uh, like, uh, again, you have this idea of the motivation that some people say, well, Selena's motivated to make Gotham a less. But that's not a motivation that is really sticking for me with Catwoman. And that's where you're missing any sort of setup. Teeny Howard, yeah, in jail, break out of jail. In the meantime, you got cats delivering ramen. I always want to mention that. But the idea where yeah. it was a bullshit setup, where you needed something was that something big happened. And this would be like the idea of 
hey, Batman would never kill Joker, right? Well, if that, if the Joker does something so crazy and insane, that might be a setup of Batman maybe thinking it through. We never saw anything like Selena's best friend, Selena, the strays, all these things where one of them got killed in the middle of a big henchman freeze versus penguin standoff. You don't, you never got that. You never got the way that Selena, it, it went in her head that, damn it, I'm done with this. These assholes, I'm now, I have to stop violent crime. The only way I can do it is by teaching them to do less violent crime. And that shuts down all the rogues gallery because they're too dangerous, whatnot. You just ended up getting it thrown in your face for pretty much Catwoman to go to Batman and say, nah, 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 I ended up making Gotham less violent. I'm better than you. Oh, my God. I'm. That's not enough. Yeah, that's not enough. And that's the problem right from the beginning because she's she she indirectly makes the statement, well, violent crime is down. But they never explained why that was all of a sudden now that's a big driving motivator for her. Why? I mean, she, she, she walks around with a whip for a reason. I mean, she's not above using violence, but they never explain why all of a sudden that's a, that's a problem and I have to do away with all of it. You need a setup. They never explain it at all. It would be easy for the, one of the strays, the kids, to get killed during something violent, whatever, and she's like, that's it. I can't take But you never had set up. It doesn't even set up anything where, you know, if you have certain characters, if you don't, you can have set up from before. You know, oh, that's a classic deal with, say, Red Hood. Or I get it, Nightwing was always against Blockbuster, so that's why he's doing this. With Catwoman, you're trying to put her in an elevated position that she's never been in, really. And you're trying to just say, that's how it is. You got to accept it, away we go, and it doesn't work, and everything falls apart. And then when you get pretty much watered down to the point of a tie-in with Red Hood, now shit really goes bad, because Matthew Rosenberg, he's got to try to figure out bullshit to go with their bullshit that is already bullshit. So at the end, you're just like, this is nothing. There's no reason for this tie-in. There's no reason to buy this. It's just nonsense. And again, it paints Jason. You know. I know people hate the script doctoring. So, I mean, you're absolutely right in that it only makes sense if, let's say the like the strays were like sleeping in a room somewhere. And then maybe Joker set off a bomb and he blew up the building and he killed it. And she's like, I, I, enough of this. And then, and I'm going to put an end to this, which is fine. But what that does, then, if you go down that route, which is the route that probably makes the most sense for what she's trying have to do, have a personal motivation besides just right. It gives her personal motivation, but what that does is it sets up a war between her and the other rogues. The entire focus of this event has been between a, a conflict between her and and Bruce, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they're they're sitting around the table. What are we going to do about this? But that's legit. And again, you can say, but it's not done right. The idea where she does ask them to get on board with her, but that's after the fact. And you know that she's doing it in a way that isn't right anyway. And Batman would never agree. So it's all bullshit. And by the way, I think you might hate script doctoring. I know a lot of people who like it. So we'll go well, with that. I don't mind that. script doctoring, but I understand that's not our role. I and mean, we're trying to review, not script doctoring. I don't know I what your role I is. Mean, if, 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 your role is being sus. That's what your role is. <laughs> well, just give me a, give me a Predator issue written by Ed Brisson, and I'll show you how I am. People were yeah, upset yeah. that you didn't do Predator Wolverine with me, but Brandon had already called it. So. I preemptively stole your joke, so there you go. But I, I will point out one super-duper highlight of this issue is I like the cover a lot, which is uh, Carmine D'Agia and Domenico. I mean, I, 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 that's, a, that's a nice cover. I like that cover a lot. So That's the something. best. When, when somebody says their favorite part is the cover, I actually enjoy the lettering. So take oh, that, Gabe. Uh, what would you give this for a score? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, we'll probably get a written review up uh, either later or tomorrow. But just in just because we've already talked it through and I've already sort of got my thoughts together, I'm probably going to give this a four. 
I mean, I, I, I most of that is going to be art, uh, just because the story is nonsense. It's convoluted. It doesn't make sense. There's no point in trying to boost up a, a nonsense tie-in that it has no purpose. Nope. I'm a 3.5. It's bad. Nobody should buy this. Just if you have the, if you really need it and you have the infinite app, then just read it there. I wouldn't even say to read it there though. I wouldn't even wait on the ultra deal. I just like just avoid it. it it's a nothing book in a nothing story. And it adds nothing. It adds nothing to the event. It adds nothing. Nope, to the event. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Just adding Steph at the end, just to add her for no apparent reason, except that she talked to him and was nice to Jason and the man who stopped laughing. The joke of the man who stopped laughing at one point. That's it. Matthew Rosenberg has no idea what he's doing, and I kind of wish that he wasn't writing things at DC because I it might be a vendetta. It might not be, but almost everything that I read from them is bad. So that's that. But we're going to move on to hopefully a better book. But I don't know. This week's a little rough, but we're going to move on to that now. All right. Here we go. Continuing on. And I'm here with my man, Simon. What up, Simon? What up, Jim? Like we did this before. And we had a little bit of a snafu <laughs> here. Deja vu going oh, on. my. All over again, as they say. But we are here and we have two books that me and you are going to talk about. One better than the other. We're going to be talking Definitely. about Action Comics number 1057 and Unstoppable Doom Patrol number six. And as I already said earlier, the idea where we're going to have, you know, blocks of books with the people. We could end up putting this whole deal on Unstoppable Doom Patrol at the end where it might belong. We usually Break put out, those books me at the end. Bit, yeah, you know. but I think that it's better because then you'd be popping in later and then here. So we're just going to do... These two as one, and it's going to be a weird play that will drive Eric nuts and maybe inspire him back on the podcast because there's no way that he would ever go with the idea of having Unstoppable Doom Patrol in the first section of books and then have Detective Comics in the second. That's the first time that's ever happened, probably the last, but we'll see how it goes because these are the two books that you're talking to me about. We were going to just talk Unstoppable Doom Patrol. But I had snafus with the action well, comics, and I just asked you to jump on as well. We were also potentially going to do the Penguin. But yeah, and we, yeah. we, we're we skipping that for now. We'll end up <laughs> just skipping that. I was trying to, like, hey, we won't mention that, but here we are. We have action yeah. comics, and coming back out of Night Terrors, I thought a pretty good issue. I actually enjoyed it. We have three stories. We end up wrapping up the Dan Jurgens Young John story in a weird way. Still yeah. not far. And we get a little but... one shot Superboy thing, which was quite enjoyable. Yeah. And then we have the Philip Kenny Johnson stuff, which is what most people are here for. And we'll talk a little bit about it when we tried to record the first time we went into the idea of from the headlines and what's going on that some people seem to look into this as something else. It, it, I have some funny things about it and also maybe a different kind of setup, maybe, but I'll give you the credits. And then we'll go into it. As I said, it's Action Comics number 1057, written by Phil Kenny Johnson, art by Rafa Sandoval, colors by Matt Herms, letters by Dave Sharp. And we start off with Superman talking to an ex-con dad who just can't get through to his kid <laughs> who is following his footsteps. Yeah, he's like, and, and <clears throat> I get the idea. He's like, I know if I talk to my kid about stealing, he's going to end up saying, I'm just like you, dad, and all this. And he's worried about that now. We don't really know why this Glenn ended up getting arrested. I kind of think it was a little more than just stealing money out of his yeah. mom's purse, right? S- Superman doesn't really deal with small-scale theft on that sort of, no, like, $10, I mean, I think that's $10 from was. your mom's purse type yeah, thing. No. It'd be funny. I mean, so he does I have a end feeling that Glenn catched. was into something a bit bigger than, you yeah. know. And yeah. 
it's funny because it's kind of like in there. It's a little shout out type deal. It's just ridiculous. But the idea of it is that this Glenn Gay, he's not really upset, I think, about the money that's being stolen. It's what the money's being stolen for. He probably thinks his son's in the drugs, something like well, that. Yeah, he's, he he's worried about his son following down his own footsteps and going the same well, route as he Well, we don't really know his footsteps, just the idea that he's a piece yeah. of crap. And now he, he's turned his life around. Superman is like a secondary probation officer to check in for some reason. But it is just a couple pages to get us back in the swing of things with the night terrors, kind of, yes. you know, having too much. Just a, a soft little introduction just to get everybody up to speed. Yep. And it's a cold open of, hey, Superman's a good guy. That That's pretty much what the Superman deal cares is. about little people. This all this is too many pages to get endlessly reposted on Reddit 10 years from now. Yeah, like a suicide that, thing from Grant Morrison's time. Doesn't but seem it's, as big, it's though. that same sort of yep. feels. Yeah. If you're me and you want to play some fun, you have him like, oh, man, thanks, Superman. I'm glad that you believe me. And Superman goes, no problem, buddy, and slaps him on the back as he flies off <laughs> he and the guy falls, falls off the girder off the because yeah. they are up on the classic way, way above with the workers having lunch. And there's birds there and they like the quiet. Superman likes the quiet. He ends up saying, I'm married to a, a genius wife and I got the kids. I'm like, you better watch it, Superman. You go too much. This guy's like going to figure it out. Like- Rubbing it into Pinkland yeah. as well. Like, yeah, you're a piece of shit with a <laughs> shitty manual job and a kid who steals from you and doesn't respect you. But my wife's hot and my kids are amazing and I've got the best wife. I don't have anybody stealing money out of my <laughs> wife's purse. I, I also like when he ends up talking about the purse and hey, she took the money out of the purse, $60, then starts. I think it might be more like he's being lied to. I, I It's a weird play. It is weird, but. Uh, when we go into this deal, this is a Blue Earth story here. We're going to end up meeting the leader of Blue Earth. We're going to end up, you know, kind of having an interview. The big driving point of the issue is that the reclusive leader of Blue Earth has agreed to give an exclusive interview to the Daily Planet. And they're only going to do it if Clark Kent is the one giving the interview. And Blue Earth hasn't really been as prominent. I think they should have mentioned some things because when they first showed up, when you first had Blue Earth protesting down with the aliens, down. People actually thought full out that that was against the super family. And at that point, it wasn't. It was just about the war world refugees living in A-Town. It's a lot yeah. about that. It's kind of melded in, and it also obviously involves the super family. But I think now, I think that Philip Kennedy Johnson realizes we might as well just play the game of it. It's mainly against the Superman family, because that's where it feels like it's pushing towards. A lot of what Nora Stone says in this interview comes across as a Lex Luthor substitute. Yeah, and that's what I think is happening, because in yeah. Superman, Lex Luthor is a good guy now. And I, I actually, that was my joke I said earlier. I was going to say it's a power void that she ends up filling. She ends up coming in, and I'm surprised that she doesn't even say something along the lines of, oh, and by the way, this is bullcrap Lex Luthor, who always went somehow these Kryptonians got to him too. Yeah, I'm surprised she doesn't quote something Lex has said in the past or name drop him as, you know, you know, Metropolis's true golden child Lex Luthor used to say A, B, and C. And then you could have had Clark. I know that that's in Superman, but you could have Clark say, well, Lex isn't like that anymore. And then she could throw that out there. Listen, 
We don't know what these aliens do. They yeah. might be mind controlling him. Don't you think that's suspicious that he's yeah. had such a sudden change and of it heart? Would be. I mean, yeah. you have su- instead of LexCorp, it's SuperCorp. There's no way. And this would be something where maybe she. Lex would never allow his ego to have his name taken off the building. That's absurd. They must have gotten to him. Once Superman gets the, you know, hey, we need you here at the Daily Planet. He hears what's going on. And he goes off to meet them at the Daily Planet when he ends up flying, goes past the kid, saves him, goes through the taxi and comes out the other end. Very cinematic (laughs) and very good. So, But yeah, it's even got little uh, film borders to it. It does feel like something that's pitched directly from a a Superman storyboard. It's very nice. It's pretty cool. I like this kid doesn't even realize he's been saved. Uh, And then Superman. I love when it is the idea of Superman going in the taxi and then coming out as Clark. That's awesome. So he goes in. To the Daily Planet, and they want to really play that. And this is actually one of the better things I've seen of the Daily Planet of how it would be just pandemonium. Yes, Con- constant screaming, shouting over each other, demanding things. You know, he's he's had two feet in the door, and he's had two or three people saying, "Hey, I need a thing here. Do this." Everybody's what, yelling, in turn, I need that." Yeah, it's yeah. all this stuff going, and pretty much what has happened is is that Lois has gotten word that they can have an interview, an exclusive interview with the leader of Blue Earth. Nobody's talked to them. They don't even know who that is. And that it ends up being set up that it is only for Clark Kent. Clark Kent's the one that has been named to do this, all that. You even have, you know, one of the tech guys, I don't think we should do this. This is terrible. You get the the usual discussions about should you platform these people, that terrorist organizations, are we lending them legitimacy? And, you know, that's that's a conversation that's been had many a time over the last yeah, and it makes sense. 60 years of journalism. Yeah, and it, it makes sense. And and Lois is right. The star would end up doing it, and they're not going to ask the hard yeah. questions. If we don't end up, give, yeah, we're giving them a platform, but we can kind of control the deal. And Someone's going to give them the platform, and it's better us than someone else. Yeah, why don't else we because, do it because we're good and we're going to yeah, ask them We, we can try and put them to task and work out what's going on. There's something about that dopey face Clark pulls when they, when they reveal that they only want to speak to Clark that makes me giggle for some reason. That half-open mouth. That's I think he's, like, oh, yeah, it's like, like he's going to go with yeah. the collar. Yang, yang. But yeah. yeah, so I like that Lois almost, she's debating. And again, this would be something that in the here and now, the idea of do you want to make a viral moment? Do you want to actually do the hard questions? Yeah. Because she do, actually do you want to debates, push them, make them storm out? Like really? She debates yeah. that and says like, maybe we should, but don't be rude, but maybe you can get it. And so Clark's like, I'm good. I'll ask questions. Now, while that's going to go on, he is obviously going to use his Superman powers as well to try to figure some stuff out. Basically, it's lie detector after she says it. But even before that, I thought this was the guy because then, Clark comes out with Jimmy, they have all this stuff, and you end up having the Blue Earthers there, like, okay, uh, which one of you is the leader? And this guy just busts through with the secret squirrel glasses, everybody out, <laughs> but the interview, I thought it was him. And I think you're supposed to think that, and then they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We have yeah. actually seen Nora in, like, one of the action comics just before Night mm-hmm. Terrors. She's a big fangirl of Clark. Ends up shaking his hand, has a crazy glowing gauntlet. There's the twist at the end, but there's a lot of legwork being laid down as to do they know that Clark Kent is Superman? A lot of the stuff that's said, the the insistence that it's Clark that does the interview, how much do they actually know? Here's the thing, and if, if things are how they really are supposed to be from Lex, if they know they're dead. 
they can't know that the secret identity anybody besides a certain amount of people if you know the secret identity you will get a seizure you'll end up like perry white he's in the hospital still in a coma because he knew and you end up having an aneurysm so i don't know if that gauntlet gauntlet certainly looks like it's kryptonite but there's some peculiar stone it could be kryptonite it glows green around her wrist when she goes to clark shake clark's hand you'd think if it was kryptonite clark would like tag it instantly yeah it's weird it it feels like it's more magic based this than kryptonite because she's giving off big clarion the witch boy energy like as far as i'm concerned like who she actually is what her relationship is to anything in like clark's history is still unknown he scans that gauntlet but he also scans her trying to i guess see you know if she is human magic whatever and they don't really say anything but when she's lying but you also have the idea i'm like scan that other dude too clark while you're at it but he doesn't and that kind of comes into play by the end but they do have this interview and basically it's going to be what normal people run organizations like any organization the idea of something bad has happened they try to say that that's not what their intention was and that they weren't involved that i didn't end up telling anybody to do anything violent Clark Clark puts to her all of the actions people have taken out in the name of blue earth and she says well i never asked people to do those things and clark reads her you know her heartbeat and the em pulse or whatever and says that she's lying like she has she has committed violence herself she has asked people to commit violence she is involved in yeah the she's bombings fully involved. And the the stuff that's happened. there is a weird there is a weird little thing that she points out when clark says about the murder of the war world refugees uh she says that murder is something human beings do to one another mr Kemp. And that's an interesting little loophole that I've not really considered before. And I do wonder if the world of DC has, because the legal definition of murder does say taking the life of a human being. Because they get into like a semantic moral argument about what's the definition of murder. But if she had just said, no, quite clearly, the law is on my side. Like, you cannot murder an alien. Also that these aliens are less than even animals that we even protect and things like that. They're nothing to us. I can murder it. And then I like where she says, if I destroy that, anyone would. Is that murder? And Clark just goes, yes. Yes. It is. (laughs) Like, yeah, it is. You're there. That's when Lois is like, maybe we shouldn't have done this. Maybe we shouldn't have gone like, no, 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 we're doing this. And Clark's doing a decent job. I do like the way that any time, and I swear this is how they're broadcasting it too, any time that Nora Stone starts to get a little dark, they like shade the lighting. Hit the lighting again, and she's like in the dark. I'll kill everybody. <laughs> get those like, dramatic like, oh my God. Like, uh, yeah. lighting cuts for me, yeah. And then she even brings up Superman. Again, this is kind of skirted between both the A-Town and the War World refugees. Those are the immigrants, but then it does involve Superman and that sort of thing, but obviously it's going to be more interesting if Blue Earth is against the Super Family. She's trying to twist the sentiment against the War World refugee stuff into being a general anti-Superman, anti-alien sentiment. Superman showed up and he was a nice little kid. Yeah. Now he's got lasers out now of his he's eyes. Now he's capable of doing it. And again, jump. like this is this is the Lex Luthor stuff yeah, coming out. Is. This is the you know like why do we need like we don't know what he's capable of and he says that. You know, he's here to protect us. Protect us from what? Protect us from people like him. Like, if he wasn't around, if we, you know, discarded him, if we said that we didn't want him here, then there'd be no need for us to have someone like him. 
Yeah, and, and it's it, that's the whole superhero deal. You know, the alien threats yeah. come for Superman, and the Superman wasn't here. We, so this whole play is, and, and they really did push at the beginning how you know young she was, and, and she's gonna be better than her family. Her family's this and that. So we have all this stuff going on, but really it ends up being she's a humanist. We want to be down with the aliens. We end up. I'm not involved with any of that violence or whatnot. We see she's lying, which we would guess anyway. And then she ends up, you know, saying, you know, murder of war world refugees, murder is something humans do, as we said. But then it's like it's over. I end up where the super irony of all this is we're being protected by an alien that ends up being the cause of needing protect. Oh, and then just, yeah, I hate the guys like that kid's good. I'm like, no, she's pretty awful. And then Lois says on a sick crusade. Yeah, I don't know what's up with this. And then it ends like, okay, and. At this North Stone, the big fan of Superman, she's like, "Oh man, that was great!" It's like we know each other for ages. This is our yeah. Wink, this is wink this is the kind of like foreshadowing stuff that I'm wondering about. She talks about there's, there's two specifically on this page. She says, "I feel like we've known each other for ages," and then later on she says, "But this is my home too." And then Clark turns and does the lie detector on her, and the result of that lie detector isn't stated. But you would think that if she wasn't human, Clark would be able to detect that. And, and that seems like it. maybe what's going on. But then all of a sudden yeah. now, here's the thing, too, because he is sweating and doesn't feel like was that like he would have said that was kryptonite. It must be something else, because then as we go, this guy, he does another thing with this green, you know, hue glow thing, because after he ends up doing this, he's sweating. He doesn't feel right. He has to go check something out. We don't know what that last scan might have told him. But Jimmy's like, you don't look good there, Mr. Cook. So he's like, all right, I got to get going. And so he says, I- I'm just going to go. I got to do something, says to Lois, I love you, and gets into this elevator. And that bodyguard yeah. is in there for Nora Stone. And there's all this sort of like green lightning energy that's sort of swirling him around him. And he, he reaches out and grabs a hold of Clark and throws him through. The weird thing here is that there's a play that he's somehow taking away Clark's powers. But has then thrown him several stories through a building and Clark's yeah. not dying. But, and that's the other thing, too, when he's doing this, the way that it plays out, because at the end, he's now going to be a evil looking Superman. Yeah. That's going to show Metropolis. She's going to do into Superman's visage and he's going to. He's going to go do things. Yeah. I think that that Glenn guy is in big trouble. He's going to go kill him first. But you end up where, when he does this and he got. Bill Glenn's still up there on the skyscraper and he's going to offer Eagle Superman some more chips and he's just going to go snap. He's (laughs) like, I don't like chips, asshole, and then kills him. But in that, you do have Philip Tony Johnson playing it good in the idea that you could say that this guy knows, like Nora, oh, he knows he's Superman, or it looks like he might be, you know, instead of it looking like he's sapping his powers, which that might be, it also looks like he's just, I'm going to get Clark Kent and I'm going to drop him because he doesn't think he's Superman, but then he lands him onto that building. I thought he was throwing him down into the street. But when he yeah. crashes down, he says, it's all your fault. You know, we might never have come here. It's if not for you and your meddling, I'm going to show the world what happens when people put their faith in a monster. monster. So he sa- again, though, he's saying it to Clark as if maybe Clark is the biggest fanboy of Superman. This is what happens. Or he's saying, we know you're Superman, but that doesn't work with that whole mind whammy of his identity. That's, I think in my mind, they got to get, they got to get past that somehow because this is interesting. If you think that they do know 
that yeah, it is I Superman. Think, I think when we find out exactly who these people are, it might clarify how they know compared to everything else that's going on. But yeah, it's they're not from Metropolis. They're not necessarily human. The, the title of the arc is like Return of the Demon. So yeah. there, there's a heavy implication in the entire title of the book that this might be someone from hell. This could all be very magic-based, people from the underworld. I'm, I'm very invested in finding out what these mysteries are. I, I am interested to see, and if there is a way that maybe because they're from that magic base that that whole identity thing didn't work, or they might not know. They might just be the deal. Also, I was just thinking of if they did end up saying, hey, everybody, we're announcing this. This is the blackmail. We're going to tell the world that yeah. you're Superman, that that kills the world. Everybody dies. There, there would only be like eight people left in the world because that would end up having the Luther thing on normal people, whether or not their demons are not here or whether or not they have a way out of it. The rest of the world doesn't. They would all die. Yes. That might be a way. And I said this to Eric a while back. That's a good blackmail, though. Yeah. Like, what is the end goal for this Blue Earth organization if they're supposed to be turning people against each other? It's interesting, though. I'm looking forward to see what this all means and how this twists and turns involving, like I said, the identity. We might be looking at something that's not even anything, but we'll see. But the next story is Home Again, Part 7. Seven oh, parts sad. of the story. Dan Jurgens writing well, Lee on Art. There's still stuff we well, don't know. Well, it ends with a non-ending. <laughs> Colors yeah. by Elizabeth Breitweiser and letters by Rob Lay. And it is the young John story. He ended up getting kidnapped by Glyanna. And she was duping everyone. She was actually mean. She wanted to pretty much blackmail Superman to come and help her take violent control of her planet. Now, in that, you ended up having things set up that her parents died and they were the king and queen. We revealed just kind of like offhandedly that that's not yeah, the case that's here. not true. None of that is true. Yeah. And it was John being kidnapped and he started playing, you know, drums on the wall to try to get that code. Superman found him freeze them now glianna's all of suddenly out of the seven things now we see that she's actually being mind controlled by somebody else that's never revealed and then you end up her parents just show up and say oh this isn't like her i don't know why i think she's being controlled and then in the meantime lois is about to get just destroyed by doombreaker and he just gets magicked away he wakes up he's about to get her and gets teleported away to now be the emissary for Guyana, who's now launched into a rocket and is flying off the space to whoever knows. I mean, the, people were saying that this was such a great ending to the story. It's not an there ending. No ending. It doesn't end. Why have this, the two months, you could have, you know, tightened this up a bit and it should have ended before Night Terrors so that when we come back, we start something new, hopefully with yeah. Dan Jurgens doing another story. But having two months off, to come back to have a non-ending which reveals like hey everything that we set up in those other six parts it really wasn't that it was mind control she goes I, she just leaves in a spaceship she's been lying she's not the one that's really in charge someone's manipulating her and also now she's got to breaker and she's gone we don't know we don't know where or what for like it's just all unanswered questions for sequel bait and then it becomes almost like Leanna's like man i don't want to be laughed at that becomes a real trigger. Oh, man, they're all laughing at me. They're all laughing at me. No, look hey, over here. Oh, my God, what's that? Doombreaker? Yep, Doombreaker is now your emissary. Nobody will laugh at you. All right. All I can say is that at one point, maybe Glyanna, because this is in the past, maybe she shows up later in the present 
Maybe that's the next story, but I don't know that I, I know, care now because I don't really know what happened. Jurgens would need to be rewriting one of the main books. I'm saying like, no, in the action comics, maybe that's how he continues the story in this book with a future deal. I don't know. Uh, but here's yeah. the thing, like, he even had set up where, oh, man, my mom and dad, they were good. They got killed by the people, and now I'm supposed to take over, but they're not going to, they're going to kill me. But then we find out that clan is bad. The people are getting... We we skirt over everything to just have her just dis- she just disappears just yeah just flies off into space no rhyme or reason yeah they go back to Earth and Lois says oh I got to tell you about Doombreaker <laughs> don't but worry later, about that weird Doomsday thing I know he's very dangerous he they he, don't know yeah. where he is what happened and nobody's concerned Glanna she just disappeared there's no real talk what happens to the planet was this all. Uh, doesn't yeah. make sense, and they go back to they, have they pancakes. They don't know these things are connected. Doom no, and they go back to have pancakes. They're like, yeah. okay, so Glanna, she lied to us, but now she's gone. Oh, no. And you even have the parents who are like, I hope she doesn't hurt anybody because she's not like that, but I think she might be mind-controlled. All right, off you go. And then, hey, where's Doombreaker? Hell, it was crazy. Just disappeared. All right, let's have pancakes. And then at the end, to make it even worse, John goes, man. I think that I want to get kidnapped again so you can have the yuck yucks of a sitcom ending. I'm like, what just happened? Like, this was such a down deal for a a story that I was actually into to then end like this of a non-ending and just goofing laugh about it. Like, I don't know what just happened. Was it shortened? Was it stretched out? Like, this can't have been how Jurgen's intended. It had to have been. I mean, there's no reason for it to end crazy because you didn't even, if you ended it with this issue, Suddenly, right before Night Terrors, I'd say, oh, they, they rushed it a little because of Night Terrors. It comes out after Night Terrors. You you could have had yeah. this keep going or whatnot, but no, it ends. And it, even then, they're like, man, what happened to that post here? It's destroyed. Doombreaker. Man, I should end up getting kidnapped again. I'm like, what, what are you talking what, yeah. your, your house being damaged makes you excited and happy that you should you almost die? The story ends up being like, oh, how did that happen? We'll talk about it later. Hey, what happened here? We'll talk about it later. I'm like, no, no, Doombreaker. Uh, just the idea they're going to have pancakes and this Doombreaker is just out and about and they don't even really get concerned about even looking into it, even an iota. Even if they said, listen, this is going to take a while. I got this, that, whatever. No, they're just like, what happened? Oh, I'll tell you later. Woo-wee. Don't worry about that. It was that. crazy. He disappeared. I've got no idea. Is the story that she ends up telling in a couple of hours from now. I can just imagine there's like a prologue where like they finish their pancakes and Clark goes, so where is Doombreaker? And she goes, I don't know. I like, don't know. Oh. He disappeared <laughs> in a, a flash of light. What do light. you mean? He could be anywhere. He could be tearing up Metropolis right now. It was a lame ending. But we then go off to a Mags Visaggio. DL Mags Visaggio hasn't written much uh, in the recent past. No. It's been a while since I've seen her name. It's Max Asagio with art by Matthew Clark, and you have colors by Matt Herms, letters by Rob Lee. And it is super is a super does. The only thing that I have a problem with this story, because all it really does is give you the status quo, Connor Kent Superboy, while it doesn't change the status quo of Connor yeah, Kent Superboy, it's... he's still upset that he won't ever grow. He doesn't age. He's never going to become Superman, yeah. especially now with John. My biggest problem, though, though, really all I have to say about it is it does mention the Superboy Man of Tomorrow as having already happened. 
and that was the series that was supposed to let John supposed Arcana, to deal with all of these questions. It was supposed yeah. to kind of realize that he fits in this family, and I I believe that's how it will end. It's not ended yet, but it has one more issue, I believe, and I think it'll end up with man, I do belong. And we get back to square one that feels a lot like almost like a, a power girl, page power girl by Leah Williams. I don't fit in. I'm never going to. But it gives people, if you don't know anything about Connor, maybe they're just thinking not many people are reading that Superboy Man of Tomorrow. Yeah. You're going to get Connor as a, I don't know what I'm here for. And I end up not being this Clark, is but treated the like perfect use for this kind of back matter material in an action comics anthology. And it just looks like it's a one shot, right? Yeah, it's a one shot. You get to dedicate it to one of the um, less spotlighted characters in the extended Superman family. You get to focus it around them and what's making them tick and you get to gauge people's interest in maybe onboarding them onto another book you know it ends with saying rather than this story carrying on within action comics it says this is going to carry on over in the superman book and also in the new speed force it's like perfect this is this is what you do you, you establish a character and their motivations and then you say if you want more of this go check out that. and i think that people might be like the only thing they'd be upset is it is just basic bitch connor but that's what DC yeah. must want. I don't think that Mag Sasagio writing a one-shot story is the person who was, hey, Mags, you have to determine the you know status quo of Connor going yeah. forward. Even though you're only writing this one story, I think that this is what they were told to write. I think they told them, said, hey, you're going to write it like this. Give us that. Do some playing. Yeah. Set up a cute little super couple between him and Miss Martian. And throw in some standard teenage drama. Yep, that's all. And uh, away we go. Yeah. And Connor bleeds. He dies his head. Then I saw some people upset about it. It's fine. It's nothing. Why do people get upset about weird shit, Jim? If if you know Connor, you don't really even have to read this. It, but it's just there. Yeah. The book is a anthology book that it's four ninety nine. This I never, and I've said this all along. If you skip the last story anyway. You're still getting your money's worth for the most part with what you already have. And this is just there. People just like to get upset about things. But again, it's not spectacular, but it's okay. And if people didn't know Connor and didn't know, hey, he doesn't age. He's upset because he'll always be set as the super boy. You never yeah. be Superman. Now John is even in the way. You have that play and you get it. And at the end, we'll see how it works out as he goes. He seems to calm down a little bit, even though. I don't know why at one point, because even Miss Martian gets upset because Miss Martian is told by him, hey, check my memories and look at what I feel. And then he gets mad. Get out of my head and don't do it again. He's been having nightmares about him dying from Doomsday. I think that's an interesting thing that he he sees himself in that Doomsday fight and dying, but the memorial isn't to him. It's still Yeah, to because him. he's always Superman. looked at as Superman. That's why he dyed yeah. his hair to look different. And it's fine. Yeah, and it's nice. It's, like, it's a nice little thing. But what would yeah. you give this overall? Uh, overall, I'd give it an 8, maybe an 8.5. Yeah, like, I'm an 8. It's, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this issue. I, I wish think, that like, Dan Jurgens thing was better. I wish yeah. it ended better. That was a bummer. But That's the only downer. But yeah, like the Superboy goods stuff was good. I'm intrigued to maybe check out where he pops up next. So it's done its job. I'm on board for the the mysteries they've set up in the main story with Philip Kennedy Johnson. Like it's it's yeah. good. Yeah, and there's there's rumors that Philip Kennedy Johnson might be getting pulled off this book to have Joshua Williamson write all the Superman stuff. We'll see if that's true. I I just saw that right before we started recording. 
I, I think that'd be a shame. I think that Philip Kennedy Johnson's doing some good I things. I was a big fan of War World. I've been a big fan of Philip Kennedy Johnson's time on action comics and Superman. I think he's doing a good job. Yeah, I do too. And so I hope that's not the case, what we'll have to see. But we're going to move on to a book, that penultimate issue. Thank God this book is ending soon. <laughs> this, this thing, and, and again, it's it's Dennis Culver doing the Unstoppable Doom Patrol and never really seemed like he had any sort of idea of an ongoing story, just wanted to be wacky. Wanted to introduce yep. characters, never Den- really Dennis introduced Cole, uh, them. Doesn't realize that not everybody lives inside of his brain and knows what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's how it feels like. It feels like he thinks this is cool and he's throwing, he's throwing characters from multiple deals as if, hey, look, I know the Doom Patrol. Boom, 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 boom. But that's not what you need here. And you didn't set up the stuff. So you're really relying on tons Six of stuff. Six issues doing too much. And it's all come to a head here in the culmination of an idea that would have been quite cool and interesting if he had spent any time actually dedicated to this idea rather than everything else that's gone on. Yeah, because a lot of people, when it started, and I'll, I'll give the credits, it's Unstoppable Doom Patrol number six, uh, which is weird. Part one is this burning. <laughs> yeah, Part one I of two, I guess. I'm like, <laughs> Why even bother starting a new arc at this point, mate? I don't know what you're doing. Written by Dennis Culver, art by Chris Burnham that I do really like, colors by Brian Reber, letters by Pat Brousseau. And so you end up starting out with all of a sudden, hey, we don't have enough characters that we didn't introduce. We didn't have enough time to slowly recruit new characters. So let's jump ahead to the point where we've already established and trained this new Doom Patrol. Yeah, we have Flex Force versus Doom Patrol. And a lot of these characters in this Flex Force, it's only to get Flex Mentallo to do his posing and try to laugh at that, to then play Capture the Flag. And we don't know these characters, but they're playing it off as if we We know two or three of them. And and know them. The idea is like we've seen Starbro. We don't know Starbro, right? And they're squonk. Squonk, everybody. (laughs) And then, I mean, these characters going on, we get AVM, Animal Vegetable Mineral Girl, first appearance. She has a bird, Smashly. We end up having the first appearance of Roxy Centauri, Squonk. First appearance, we already saw Starbro, and we had Silo Simon from the Lazarus Planet stuff. But none of these, even the ones that we had, they're not really introduced. You had them on the page. They end up kind of getting rounded up. and But we never had any character work. So when you go through this, there's no deal. Like, are you sitting here going, man, classic Starbro? Oh my goodness, that is Silo Simon It's a good job they eliminated Starbro first Because he could have done all of those things that I've seen him do before All the things that we know, nothing except maybe he can control people and whatnot So it just falls flat I think that most people just be like, what's going on? And basically in my mind, it's two minute warning Dennis Culver had these characters that he thought were really cool And he wanted to introduce them So he just throws them out there This is not going to be one of those key issues that you're going to grab because it's the first appearance there's nobody's ever going to see these people again no your book sucks and we, nobody's yeah. going to write fan fiction about squonk 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 dies there's a little spoiler first appearance and death so <laughs> you end up having this and it's this whole play of like okay what's the story here even at this point they're just playing a game it is yeah. like you said it's going to give you that wink wink Hey, the X Men influenced by Doom Patrol. Now, Doom Patrol's influenced by X Men. It's that whole twist around. It's the Danger Room, but they're just doing random stuff. Yeah, and so they end up where 
they're going to, oh, my God, it looks like Animal Vegetable Mineral Girl is going to end up getting the flag. And then Negative Man comes out. No, I got it. Oh, no. And then we have I an emergency. Win. I cheated. And I, now we're going to get 17 it. other yeah. characters we spent, that we spent are from one, the past. One, it, two, it's nonsense. three, four, five pages on a nonsense capture the flag thing when he could have maybe shown us General Immortus explaining what his fucking plan was. Yeah, because that's the big play by the end. <laughs> it's the big General Immortus stuff that has been pushed to the background for this whole time then becomes the big thing. But even then, what you're doing here, and it's just such a it's such a surface level deal where you want to name these new characters that you made. So you have people say like, hey, your crow is really cute, animal, animal vegetable mineral girl. Oh, too corny. Just call me AVM. Like, that's only yeah. to get the name out. Then you end up at one point, the one girl says, oh, my God, that was awesome, Roxy. You that's call me Roxy Centauri in the field. Like you're just trying to get names. That's my out. favorite one because it's that's like that's not even a oh you've used my secret identity. No. Please use my code name. That's you've you've inappropriately shortened my code name. And yeah. I don't like, like why do you need to say the whole thing? Full <laughs> code names when we're on the mission. No, that's nonsense. Nobody's ever said that. It's Roxy Centauri. Full code names. We're on a mission. Silo Simon. It's like and and you have it in bold. I'm like. All right, we get it. Then Niall shows up at the one point and says, oh, man, it looks like you guys are doing some real good things around I'm here. I'm going to formally pass the mantle because yeah. that was a plot line that I forgot to wrap up in exactly. the five issues before this one. Thanks, Dennis. Up Coleman. until this point, Niles has been so sus even when we got the reveal and he's like, you know what? What happened to me in that last mission we did made me think that you're a pretty good chief. You take the mantle, and then you're just like, "What?" And then he's there, and then his, <laughs> he starts, you know, shooting lasers out of his chair because they're under attack. Oh no! Yes. Code Orange, metahuman emergency. What could that be? Well, I don't know, but Mento, you remember him, don't you? Remember people? Mento? Remember the guy in the basement? I love that play. It's like, oh no, it must be an emergency because Mento said, "Dot dot dot." We're under attack, and we see Mento. That's all this is. It's it's yeah. like you might as well just have an announcer say, and next up, Silo Simon. And then he comes yeah. out, does a little dance, and then goes away. And then next up is... And yeah, but you could have, like, instead of making all of this dialogue so cringe-inducingly horrible, just give them fucking name tags. Just, like, yeah. do a the standard placards. comic book, like, Legion of Ho Superheroes type thing, X-Men thing. Where you're just like, you know, you've even got the thing at the start. They do a half page like pose together. You could have just like slapped name tags all over them and just got it out of the way. Flex Force. I mean, yeah. any of these characters that's like, I don't even know them. And you're playing it off as if these are well known. Then you do end up having characters that are known by only Doom Patrol people. Yeah, we get a bunch of Brotherhood of Evil, Teen Titans, Doom Patrol knockoffs. And they just like show up. Proper F string nonsense villains who we've seen in like six total pages over the course of this entire series that General Immortus has been have been vaguely gathering together for an unspecified purpose with an unspecified like 
uh, reward dangled in front of them. And they just end up showing up to fight. You get the quiz. Managed to just teleport all of them into the middle of the Doom Patrol base and something. I feel like if your big secret plan to destroy the Doom Patrol was just let's all go there together, someone else might have been able to figure that plan out before this point. Or is this just to make it so that it is a distraction, but there's nothing... You don't know what the distraction is It's obviously meant to be a distraction for what Immortus is up to over at Dorothy's grave, but, like... He wouldn't tell these people they were just fodder for him to do the thing. It's ridiculous. So, yeah. And it's, so it's the you just have a fight. Squonk gets killed. There's a Hooray. character, Goldilocks, that isn't named first appearance for some reason. And then you get other characters, you know, some classic ones, or I say classic in quotes, but you end up having some callbacks to characters, Dr. Inside Out, Elephant Man, Gemini, all these things going on. But you're not doing enough with them. Weirdly, a couple of them are Batman Inc. characters from Burnham's time on Batman Inc. as well. And they've got literally nothing that's ever <laughs> been done no, with either and, the and Doom Patrol going or on here. the Brotherhood of Evil. So that's going on. Then you get what they call the Grave Minders. They come in on a teleport, and that is yes. Lotion the Cat, Lucius Reynolds, and Willow B. Kipling. Interestingly enough, Willow B. Kipling only exists because Grant Morrison wasn't allowed to use Constantine during his Doom Patrol. And he, he looks like <laughs> him. So you end up having these guys show in, and they are the ones who are in charge of watching the graveyard, yeah. and they are there to warn everybody, oh my god, Dorothy's grave, she's being dug up, there's something going on, it's trouble in the graveyard. And so you end up having, you know, Cliff, okay, I gotta get over there. You end up only having Niles, Cliff and Willoughby go and teleport to the graveyard where the big important thing here, if you're not into, you know, reading between the multiple lines here, you have no idea what's happening. 30 years of Doom Patrol. You've got no idea what's going on. I didn't know. And I'm going to guess most people have not read 30 years of Doom Patrol, Dennis Culver. Maybe spend five seconds explaining what the fuck is. Why is he setting anything up? He's so busy having people, well, in the field we use Roxy. But it's Roxy Centauri, full names in the field. And then you go in the big play here, and you had to, have to explain it to me that you have a mortis who wants to, you know, live so, forever. Yeah. So right? General Immortus's entire shtick is he wants to be immortal. He's forever looking at ways that he can extend his lifespan. But they've dug up Dorothy here, and Dorothy's power set was that she could bring imaginary beings to life. And ultimately, she was responsible for one of the most dangerous foes that Doom Patrol ever uh, faced called the Candlemaker. It was the pinnacle of Grant Morrison's run. The Candlemaker was uh, an egregore. He was essentially the physical, he was the manifestation of a global fear of thermonuclear war. And because he was never real, Dorothy could bring him to life. She did, accidentally. And then the Doom Patrol defeated him, destroyed him, he dissipated into wherever, whatever. He's gone. That was the culmination of his run. So the play here is to potentially, I guess, merge the Candlemaker's essence with General Immortus into what he calls himself the Eternal Flame. That's what it seems. And and there's no mention of the Candlemaker at all. There's not one mention. You end up having mention of resin, which if you're reading DC books, you think it's Lazarus yeah. resin because you think that, okay, he's going to try to make himself into this. And then the Dorothy part, not explained, her power set, yeah. so people her might be confused power set isn't explained. Her history isn't explained. The Candlemaker isn't explained. No, so he ends up having, who says, drink the wax, but called it resin, said it would be liquid, and he ends up drinking that as, you know, Cliff, Niles, and Willoughby come in. They can't stop it. And then you do have Immortus 
like melding like melting he's into wax, the grave, right? And then yeah. falls into the grave. And then when he comes out, you have candles all around, and he looks like a skeleton with candle wax all melted on his uniform and coming out. Yeah. None of that is explained. That None it of this explained. All it is is it says part two, butcher, baker, dot, dot, dot. That, that's not enough. Yeah. Even on the surface level of like, what is this plan? Anyone who's picked up this book and hasn't read the entirety of Doom Patrol is used as shit. I was mostly confused as shit because I was like, why is like, why would you ever do this? Like, this doesn't seem like a sense. And not only that, but why and we have would one anybody issue. agree to help with this? I, I don't know. The big thing at the start of this series was Monshaw Malar turning on the brain. His The love of his life, he was double-crossing, killed him to sign up with General Immortus. Yeah, why? Why? What part of this benefits I don't Marshall Malone? It's just, all it is, this is, it's fan fiction of a guy just trying to jam everything that he thought was cool or heard was cool from any sort of run before his. It's the idea, like, this play is, you could say, well, yeah. the big reveal will be next issue. When they tell us it's a candlestick maker and all that, but that won't mean anything to new readers. That yeah, still won't mean so anything. Like, and you had this big play that we didn't have any idea what was happening. If this was Dennis Colvin's big idea from the start, you know, let's bring back the candle maker, let's merge the candle maker with General Immortus, final page reveal, the eternal flame, emerging of General Immortus with candle maker. That's my big, that's, that's the big idea I want to do in this miniseries. You could have written a six episode, a six issue story. Where that was the main that food should point, have been the main and actually focus. seeded the plot line, had the Boom Patrol investigating things that were going on, but more emphasis on Dorothy's grave and what she did at the time when she was alive, and actually had new readers on board and invested in yeah, what was happening. Yeah, you didn't set anything up, but he was bouncing around. This whole thing was supposed to be them gathering up people affected by the last yeah. ring. You you got the degenerate. You end up getting that, and then just kind of like, okay, we're done with that. Let's, that's just to introduce new characters, but then he wasn't that into that. So, what's going on with the Peacemaker stuff? Yeah, Peacemaker stuff with Velvet the Worm, who's mentioned by name in this. Oh, that's a neat worm. The US government is supposed to be infiltrating the Doom Patrol. Yeah, what are we going to do with this last issue? And to actually also bring up, they added an extra issue. He had an extra yeah. issue to tell a story. Because he, he never decided to anything. dedicate an entire issue to a random therapy session. Yeah, and nothing. Every issue. And if it would have been, oh, well, this is just a series one shot, one shot, one shot. Hey, that's kind of cool, but I'm done. Yeah. If he wanted to do, like, yeah, a, a 70s, 80s throwback where everything is like a self contained story with a little bit going Fine. on in the background. But they have to be self contained. But they've they got to be been. self contained stories, which they haven't been. There's been too much random stuff going on. If this would have been set up, this is like the biggest, biggest thing. This would have been a great story. Happened against the Doom Patrol having Candlemaker back, and yet it's just thrown in. Two of the most powerful, dangerous people that the Doom Patrol have ever faced have been merged into one being. Yeah, this should be a big deal. This should be a big deal that is set up properly and executed well, and it's not. And what it seems to me, because you mentioned resin, you're saying this at the end. I'm just like. Me personally, because I thought, oh, he just ended up wanting to be a zombie because that's what the resin kind of does. If you only take it, that's how he'll live. But nothing. You could have set it up with scenes in previous issues where they're like, oh, you know, they've recovered a bit of the candle maker from like the You don't want to do thing. this. What are we going to do? Then they've we mixed it with the Lazarus resin. And yeah, you know, you know, what else do we need to get this to work? Well, you know, 
Dorothy, Dorothy brought the candle maker into the world. Only in her resting place can we also like yeah. pull like, this how off. How does that even work? Like it doesn't make any it doesn't sense. Doesn't make any sense. So by the end, what would you give it? I like the art. I actually like the art of Chris Burnham, but I always like his art. But overall, this is a wreck. A four, maybe. Yeah, if I I'm think I'm a generous. four. I'm a four as well. It just ends up just being just nothing. It it's just so. A non-story of shit just thrown together, but yet I see reviews. People are going on and on. They they it love doesn't it. Doesn't do the very basics of telling a story. There is a great idea at the end of it, but he's either he's just um, he's either he's just come up with that right now and chucked it in at the last second. Yeah, or he's issue. got no concept of how you lead up to a big idea like this that. This is what's been happening. This is what happened with the vigil. You end up finally getting to the story. Penultimate issue. Well, why does this keep happening? Why can't people tell stories? Why can't you end up yeah. with six or seven issues? Why are you throwing in new concepts and not actually wrapping up what you set up at the penultimate issue to get throwing the final big deal? Wall, and so it is. Nobody can work out it's what the plan is. Just bad storytelling, and it's a shame. Yeah, it's bad storytelling. It's yeah, four out of four out of ten for both of us. So I almost said four out of four. Four out of four ten out for out both of four. us. That's that. But thank <laughs> you for joining me, Simon. Anytime, Jim. We're going to go off now and talk something that I do really like, a little bit of DC manga. Me and Luke Hollywood doing some Bat Baby right about now. All right, and here I am with Luke Hollywood with one of my favorite sections of the podcast, even though I have to talk to Luke Hollywood. That's that's the down part of it, but we get to talk about the DC manga. And I'll even start out this by telling people that if you're not aware me oh. and Luke do a bunch of manga podcasts. We really? do a Manga Monday show that sometimes comes out on Wednesday. <laughs> but we also do reading clubs like A Spy Family mm-hmm. and A Demon Slayer, as well as I do a bunch of reading clubs with Stork. Cool. Who, me and him do the My Hero Academia Dork. and the Chainsaw Man. And then Jason and me do a Death Note. And I personally do a Dragon Ball sometimes. But Close. we end up having six reading club podcast where we go through a chapter each week each month you know that's how it rolls but we are very big fans of manga and that's why i was excited to put these manga on the podcast at first just kind of going on a whim it has been some things that i really really enjoy and we talked about it last week where we do think that maybe the bat baby joker one operation joker is a little more like serious maybe it's mm. not but it is towards the superman versus meshi yeah it has the crazier concept but it has the bigger feels as well yeah and and it ends up being something where we set at a point once you get into it you realize that it's not as crazy first off it's the joker but it, it actually could work in a regular deal Superman versus Meshi's just wacky and fun, and we love it. <laughs> yeah, that's never happened in the comics. That is like a manga original. The, the, the design, Aquaman talking to the dead fish, that's crazy. Oh, that's the best. So in that, I will still admit that even after this chapter, if you're keeping score at home, I really love Superman versus Meshi, one mm-hmm. of my favorite books each and every week. Every time it comes out, I go right to it. It's like on the top of the pile, which is crazy. But I still like this. It's just not, you just don't get, you don't get the wacky fun that I really want. But both do something. We talked about this before, but, you know, allow me to repeat a little. Mm -hmm. That people were worried that, oh, a Batman and Superman manga, 
it's just going to be, you know, a Batman thing. Why have it as a manga? Oh, it's just going to be Superman doing so. But they both are going into something that we probably could never see in mm. the regular DC comics. And I give them a lot of props for that. I do give them a ton of props because there's never going to be an ongoing full-out DC comic of Superman going around and eating Japanese food. And even with this, the Batman, you get to have fun with it. So we end up with this. Luke, tell them what we're talking about. Well, we got this week. The one, the name rolls off the tongue. It's the Joker, One Operation Joker, Chapter 7. And they hit the title halfway through the book again. Um, Gotham, After the Rain. Uh, maybe when it rains and pours, uh, it suns and shines. There's, there's things that when this first this concept came about, I even talked to Eric about it. I'm like, oh, it's so funny. Joker has to raise the Bat Baby to end up being Batman. He needs right. Batman, so he's going to do this. This isn't a win for him that Batman's a baby. He no. actually now has to raise him properly to this still is be the, hard part. the Dark Knight. And so what he said right away, which we might end up coming to eventually, is that he said, well, that's really screwed up because the way that Batman becomes Batman, he needs his parents to die. And now it's Joker. So is that going to be a play where? And so I thought, oh, my God, you know what? I didn't think of that. I also, for some reason, didn't think of what people think about Bruce Wayne at this point (laughs) because he's missing. And that's what this chapter does. And I think that what these chapters end up doing, and it's something that me and you don't mind i think that in manga land you know manga land you end up having this deal where each chapter kind of will address a certain thing last issue it was what happens with harley like you're thinking is harley around is she even in this she shows up she does her thing and then you know she's off and now in this one it is the idea of oh yeah bruce wayne he's been missing how are they gonna fill that what are people gonna think what's happening so at the beginning, though, you again, and you'll have a lot of Joker thinking to himself, a lot of Joker really wondering how he this got is to like this crazy point. life. Now <laughs> it is; it's just Joker's crazy life. But also in this is that you have Batman, who's just cute as a button. He's little a bat baby. baby. He's there with his binky, sucking on his little sucker there. Which I had, I have five kids, all of them, but some of them really. Really like those binkies. Mm-hmm. I think it might have been Zach that might have went a little too long. By around Whoa. age thirteen, we told him he has to <laughs> stop. The weird play is, is if you are a parent, you'll go with that phase at points where they have that binky as a little kid, and then next thing you know, they have it at nineteen because they're going to some damn rave club, Whoa. doing you know Molly and stuff. And I, I do mean the drug. There, right. <laughs> so you end up where Joker's. <laughs> He's putting together things and he's putting what he has is he has the to have people the, the bump things. And again, these are things. And I said last chapter, this is such a weird play that this really is a manga for parents. It really this is because the Joker daddy life. You might not realize as you see what he's doing, but you don't realize how much you have to do that stuff and how you much you're worried about stuff like that. Now, with all that. Joker, at least, is on his own. A lot of guys out there will probably agree with me that a lot of times you're forced to do this. You may not want to, but you don't want to end up getting yelled at later, right? When We had a point, and also, Zach, he was eating at one point. It's always Zach that has crazy stuff. He was eating, and Alex, our oldest son, ran by and knocked over Zach like he was in his high chair. 
Uh-oh. and knocked the high chair back, and there was a radiator right behind him, and he hit Uh-oh. his head. You don't, you don't want to see that, especially when you know it's a little baby. You don't know what to do, and when you hit your head and cut it, it really bleeds, and it bleeds way more than what the actual cut and emergency is. Mm-hmm. I freaked out, Tanya. Oh, yeah. For some reason, Tanya didn't freak out like she usually did. I freaked out. It looked like, I mean, I didn't know what had happened. There was so much blood and what. But you do end up putting these things. That was just the whole play of, yeah, you have to put these things up. He's worried. And you do see Batman's crawling now. Things are progressing a little more. Because at one point, I kind of wish that we would have seen. Because remember, he was excited that he missed or upset he missed him rolling over. And then you had like the Bat-Baby push-up. Man, we're going to try to get himself up. Now he's going around. I think we're seeing that things might be exponentially, you know, progressing here. But he ends up where he's putting all of these, you know, safety things in case. And that he's definitely setting it up for when Bat Baby starts walking. Some of these are up higher. But he has it on the edges and things like that. What looks like a cooler that may actually, like, have human organs. I don't even know what that thing is. You end up where he... Bat, yeah, Bat Baby, he's cute And that's where the Joker seems to keep losing Because he keeps seeing how cute the Bat Baby is But he wants to grow him up like Batman And he doesn't like the binky He says, y- you're sucking on that thing too much You're going to have a mouth like an octopus I Sexy. don't need that Oh, And no. it's kind of like, maybe that can make him some money down the line But he, he doesn't want that route for the Batman That's not Batman, the Dark Knight, right? In, in the shadows but oh, he ends no. up where he takes it from him and says, you don't want to be Octoman. Kind of a goofy thing, but that baby's upset. Uh-oh. That baby starts crying. And it, Here comes the bad baby. This is police. what ends up showing you the plight of the Joker. The daddy life. He really just wants Batman to just be Batman now. Like He really is like, come on. But yeah, you end up having Bat Baby cry. Joker's like, oh, my bad, Bat Baby, come on, please. And then starts thinking of all the times that Batman ended up taking him down. And this is way harder than any time you have me on the ropes now more than you ever did. Where you almost get that, that that's like the meta thing here. Like we said before, like, what if Bat Baby, he actually is full sentient Batman, can talk, and, he and he's just everything. messing with him. But he does, and that's the big play, where he thinks back. I love where he's running around. With that giant syringe Just running around like a crazy man And he says I think that this is the most You've ever had me on the ropes This bat baby because he has to end up Every hour he says I don't have A minute to myself no daycare I'll take the bat baby oh my god I don't know Whoa. what to do but look At how nice it is when he ends up picking up Bat baby and bat baby does end up like Hugging the joker Joker's gotta watch out Bat baby is falling in love with the joker That's not gonna give you a Batman. It's not. So he's got to watch, but he ends Uh-oh. up where he, I like when he sits on the, the I guess it's the remote. He, he puts Bat Baby down, he sits on the remote, and it ends up putting the TV on. And then what we get is Breaking news. Is that Bruce Wayne who, like, is pissed off, hasn't slept for 10 years? He wishes he has an octopus mouth. Oh my goodness. That's a haggard looking Batman. Probably. Bruce Wayne's missing. And they talk about it that he just dropped out of sight without leaving a single clue behind one month. Joker earlier ends up pointing out, you've been bad baby for a month. It's (laughs) been a month. And now he can't, he doesn't seem to put two and two together. 
which is funny. Mm. And I hope he does eventually because I hope that eventually he might have to. And personally, I don't know how you'll play it out. I really don't. But Bruce Wayne's missing. Joker thinks that he, ah, oh, that, that, you know, rich guy is probably on an island with some woman and I'm here stuck watching Bat Baby. What and you do end up, it'd be funny if Bat Baby starts like pointing to the TV, but he's just sitting there. He's got his binky going. And this whole play is that Bruce Wayne had been setting up free daycare for everyone in Gotham. The whole deal of this was, you know, hey, Bat Joker tried to get in these fancy daycare, and he couldn't. They didn't allow it. He And it's more because of Joker. They didn't <laughs> want his gun in there, but yeah. Yeah, those security checks didn't check out. Yeah, they, they didn't. And it is beginning next year. They say that every child will be able to go to daycare, and Joker's like, and I like the idea of the idea of Joker's usually, why so serious? But now all of a sudden he's like, seriously? And look, <laughs> this ends up where it becomes pretty funny it becomes kind of break the, the fourth wall kind of deal because this is him realizing that with daycare thanks to bruce wayne who might be missing but still going forward that he'll be able to take that baby to daycare and he'll be able to get back to daddy could be joker again day, yeah, daycare equals preschool then to kindergarten he starts dancing around including from the joker movie where he's singing and That's dancing you have the first deal the best is, though, is, and this is what makes it funny. Some people would think of this as, oh, that's kind of cringy. Why are they doing that? When he gets down the stairs after his The Joker dance, he realizes he left that baby alone in the apartment. <laughs> runs back up the stairs. I love where he runs up the stairs. He runs up and then goes, and that baby's just sitting there. He's like, sorry about that. I flew the coop without thinking. I promise I won't leave you alone again, kid. He worries about him. It's like, it's such a weird play of being like just zany, also just weird, but also there's some wholesome heart to it. There are feels to it. It actually is pretty funny because then he gets Bat Baby and then starts going out dancing around with him. He's just going around splashing. He says, Can, can you believe it? Starting next year, you get to go to daycare and it's all thanks to that missing money bags, Bruce Wayne. Now, in this book, you get one of the first kind of callbacks to something before. Uh, like I said, usually oh. you're just going forward. Hey, Harley's here. Hey, this is. Yeah, him. you can read each one. Stand People alone. will hear things and then say, like, Harley showed up. I heard what Johnny said, and I came to see Johnny. what's going on, like that. But Johnny ends up like, I like this because Johnny now has become like the Joker's best friend. I need more Johnny, actually, because Johnny is hilarious that he knows how to raise babies better. And now he sees this whole daycare thing and gets right on the phone with the Joker. You hear about that daycare? And, and Joker's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I saw it. And they're talking about, oh, my God, the story of the century. Oh, my God, how about that daycare? And, yeah, uh, the play, though, that Johnny is, Johnny's like the grounding of the Joker. He ends Whoa. up making him realize the reality of things. Joker's too crazy to think things through. He's dancing around. But doesn't realize that you can't just enter Bat Baby into the daycare. So he says, you got to come up for it with a name. And he goes, oh, I already found out a name, what Batman's, Bat Baby's secret identity will be. I'm going to call him Bruce. And he's doing it because oh. Bruce Wayne did the daycare. So he's like almost oh, like that joke. And I love where he thinks that it's like, this is perfect. Anybody named Bruce at Bruce Wayne's daycare will be treated better. They'll love him. 
And boy, this is my joke. He, he ends up thinking about Fat Baby as being his big joke. He can't wait for the punchline. But when you say all this. The joke's on him. We end up having a lot of Joker. Obviously, Joker and Bat Baby. So, and, but he is growing up. I kind of do want to see Bat Baby Bruce in daycare now. I want to see how he goes. Like, y- you could end up where we get if this goes long enough and it went. Like how we talk about Spy Family, if you're aware of that, where we like the family stuff. That's what, But when Anya goes to school, the school stuff, and oh it opens goodness. up even more people, and the idea that if Joker finds out that, you know, somebody beat up that, ba- like, you know, you're at school or whatever and they're smarter or this and that and i think joker's gonna get real into like being this crazy parent and getting upset at things and i think it'll be really fun see what happens but that's the end of it where basically he gives that baby the name bruce kind of by accident and then also finds out there will be daycare that he will be able to have that baby in so we'll see how that goes i also think that where he's he's gonna be like a typical parent where when you're in the deal oh my god i haven't slept you know more than two days this month because of this baby this ba- i just want to get rid of this baby and then i just want this baby back yeah and even then like i want to yeah i want to get back to my life because he does want to get back to his job his job of being the joker but in that i think that he'll miss that baby he's not gonna be and he's he's gonna be calling that daycare non-stop like i really want to i hope we do get to that I hope we see more of that because it's good. But what would you give this? I thought this was another banger, Joker Daddy chapter. Uh, I do like to see, like you know, we don't want. We said we didn't want to rush things too much, but I do like to see the progression of the bad baby. You know, maybe we'll see him. You know, the toddler years as he's walking around. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, once we get into the preschool shenanigans and the daycare, that's when it's going to be really fun. But uh, yeah. We really like this book a lot. Uh, Joker Daddy and the deep feels that comes with bad baby parenthood. This is where it's at. It's still, I still think Superman versus Meshi is our that's favorite. The best. I think yeah, that's that, the that's one. just too much fun. <laughs> that's way too much fun. But this is good. And only these are only chapter seven. So, and I think like the first volumes are coming out for both of these. They're well worth picking up. Well worth checking out. If you're reading the books. Already, you know these characters, and there's nothing here that you won't like. Well worth checking out. I'm going to go with 8.5. Yeah, I think I'm an 8.5 as well. I, I think, again, it, it's not as fun overall as Superman versus Meshi, because that's just insane it's fun. Wacky. But Don't I think that this, this actually, we said it, we kind of say it each time. But it actually uh, not just, just surprises me, but I have to give full props. That Satoshi Miyagawa, who I believe writes it, really does get the character of the Joker. I mean, does it in, in a wacky way. It's easy to have, you know, hey, I know the Joker and Batman in just a Joker Batman usual story. Joker's doing his things. Batman comes and punches him, things like that. But when you switch it up this much, but are able to go with and really going with the trope and cliche of the Joker always needs the Batman. But to go this far in this many chapters in chapter seven, where I still think you're seeing the Joker, he acts completely, in my mind, 100 percent Joker in this situation that is thought out. And I thought that it's really well played. You get some fun jokes, but overall, it is the idea of seeing where it is. It's almost like that. I thought I was teaching you, you teaching me the idea of the Joker raising the bat baby. 
hoping to make him, but falling in love with him as well. And I think that baby's falling over Joker. So when you sit here, I just, I really hope that we get long enough or whatever. Like, what will be Bat Baby's first word? What will be the deal here? What happens Joker, and how does this uh, play out? Now, again, if you want to think of this as they're going to kind of have to play it back into a le- it's not in continuity. Right? I mean, we know that, but you're going to want to play the weird thing of, well, why wasn't this or that? I think that at the very end, something will happen that Batman will just end up, boom, becoming Batman. And everything that we're seeing here, how much the Joker ended up caring for and whatnot, will kind of be erased a bit. Not from the mind, but from the idea of, yeah, we found a, a cure. Maybe in the middle of this, you end up, because remember, they were looking into that 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 substance that turned him into this. What mm. happens halfway through where the Joker is able to cure Batman completely, but might he not want to get rid of Bat Baby? That's the sort of thing. And I do want to see his first word. I want to. It's it's just good and it's fun and it's wholesome, especially at a point where a lot of people are down on some of the DC stuff. This is just a fun little alternative to you know have some cool feels and some funny plays. But I do want to uh, give a shout out to not to. Anyone in particular Maybe I think it was Andrew in Belfast actually That showed me that he got it But I've had some people ask us Why we're not doing Batman Justice Buster The only reason is because That's too much like a regular Batman story You know what I mean The the reason why we have the Joker Bat Baby One Operation Joker And I will tell you too I'm glad that name is as wacky as it is It actually is part of the charm of the whole thing One Operation one Joker, Daddy. People talk about, I've heard, uh, Superman versus Meatballs. That's oh. what some people call it. But those are, they're so wacky that you almost have to, like, go and read them and check them out. But then that's a little bit more extended. But that's why we're not doing the Justice Buster. But if they would come out with more, if they ended up having some other wacky stuff, I mean, I want the pretty much the side. You know, maybe a mini series, couple volumes of Aquaman going around talking to sushi. I'd be down Whoa. with that. Like anything like that. But yeah, so that's that. But again, we do a bunch of other manga stuff. And if people start liking this even more, maybe we'll figure out some other stuff to do for the DC podcast. But that's that. Thanks, everybody. We're going to go off now. I don't know what's next, as always, but we'll go to something uh, right about now. Uh, it isn't right. And what also isn't right is this is the now fourth time I've been recording this section of books. And that section includes Detective Comics number 1074 and Spirit World number five. I actually recorded twice with my man Aiden. If you can believe this, the first time we ended up having to stop because this poor cat got attacked by a snake. 
And then we ended up doing it again. And when I went to review or not review, when I went to edit it later that night, I mean, it's right now late night. I went to edit it to put it out. And lo and behold, his side of the recording did not record. So I end up having to do it again. And myself now the second time. This this is a disaster. And I think it's probably because I ended up, surprise, surprise, actually liking a Ram V Detective Comics issue, maybe even more than most people, because I've seen this getting bad reviews. Now, we have to go into this looking at the lay of the land. We ended up having Ram V telling a story for over a year, meandering, treading water, however you want to explain it, slow burn. I told people very early on that I don't think that Ram B is really that concerned in telling a progressively, you know, plot-wise story that ends up having much go on each issue. He likes to just go with the mood. He likes to end up, you know, telling a little bit here, maybe dropping hints there. And I ended up even having a review on our site where he called me out on Twitter. He ended up mentioning things, and I realized that he was talking about my review and i ended up talking to him a bit even on twitter even on some dms talking about the idea and basically what i said was and it's it's very odd i ended up saying to him or in the review that i like a lot of things that he has done and i don't like a lot of things he has done but i usually like the things that he feels like he's expired to tell a story and tell it in a timely manner And then he ended up getting on and saying, hey, I don't listen to reviews and I like to tell stories. If it was up to me, I'd tell an 80, 100 issue story with not much of a cohesive central plot, just in and out, having some fun. And then I ended up getting involved and said, well, people aren't going to read that. People are going to be upset. Your fans are going to be upset about that. And he basically told me, and this is no lie, said that he didn't care about fans. He writes for himself. He thinks that writing is a very, very self-centered thing and he has to enjoy it or else he's not going to write. I get that, but you still have to tell a story. And yeah, there's a story here with the Orgums. There's a whole play, but a lot of things have been left behind. And one of the big things that happened or the biggest thing that happened before the two-month hiatus we all like to call summer ween slash night tears is that the Orgum place, you know, it, it was built suddenly. Suddenly, then it got blown up. We end up the last issue before Night Terrors with the organ place being blown up and Batman seemingly infected by the asthma. What does that mean coming back? Well, first off, I wanted to know what the organ place ever was. And when I ask people that, they end up going, oh, well, we know what it was. And then I say, I dare you to tell me exactly what it is. I don't need you to come back. Well, it's the organ place. Well, it was a building tower built by the organs. I'm not talking that. I'm talking what was it? Was it one of those big giant malls with like three levels of food courts, food around the world, stuff that I love? Does it have a skate rink? Does it have a bowling alley? Tell me. Tell me what it is. Also, tell me why it ended up being the land of Arkham Asylum, which is outside of Gotham, then suddenly became Midtown, center of the city, tower that almost seemed like it morphed into the Arkham Tower which wouldn't make sense because the Orgums came in to Gotham like nobody's business with a deed at first looked like to Gotham itself. All of man, I thought that would have been really neat, but it ended up being the land of the old, abandoned, run down, destroyed Arkham Asylum. Suddenly it's midtown. It didn't make sense, but okay, we'll push that aside. So we end up having the Orgum place blow up, 
when we come back to this issue, it is a kind of interesting looking at all of these Dawn of DC books continuing after Night Terrors to see what is the MO of the writer. Are we going to catch some readers up? Are we just going to go forward? Are we going to start a new story? Because a lot of people that I talked to did end up reading some Night Terrors, and then we're going to jump into these books, you know, to see what's going on afterwards. Now, again, this isn't a number one issue. This isn't Ramvi's first issue, but you might want to play that idea. It reminds me of when Joe DiMaggio, back in the day, I mean, you know, back in the day, Joe DiMaggio, where he was asked why, near the end of his career, why do you keep playing so hard? Why do you go out there and pretty much destroy your body? You are already a legend. You already made your money. You're going to be finishing soon. Hall of Famer, all that. And he said, every game that I play, it might be somebody's first time seeing Joe DiMaggio play. So I got to give them, you know, the experience. And I really do think that the editor should have went and said to Ram V, listen, you have been playing the story for a year. It's not like like a Green Lantern that's coming back after Night Terrace with issue number three. You have had 11 issues, I believe, and an annual. A lot of people aren't going to buy those. They're just going to want to jump in and see what this is all about. So why not start with, you know, a page or two of recap? Because even the people who have been reading, we've been doing this for quite some time. And what I was hoping would happen is Ram V would go into this with a recap. But a recap that kind of did a little more, a recap that filled in some blanks, maybe gave you a little bit of more information that we didn't get before to then push forward. He doesn't do that. He's not going to hold anybody's hand. I guess he doesn't like touchy, feely things like that. You know, he might give you a fist bump, but he's not going to hold your hand. So, you know, like the Beatles, I'd like to say I should hit that. That's, that's not a joke. <laughs> I wanted to hit that. He's not going to do that. So when you get into this, what is he going to do? What are we doing from that whole blow up the Oregon place into this? Well, he's going to start a new act, act two, and it's odd. It's an odd feel. It feels like starting from square one, but we have 90 squares before that. So it's not exactly a jumping on point. But after reading it now a bunch of times, because every time I did go to record this, which was multiple times, as I said, I did end up rereading it, going through it. And I actually ended up with the idea. It's not a good jumping on point. But if you have been reading and you look into this, it is interesting. And maybe, just maybe, I don't have a vendetta. It's Ram V for vendetta before. But maybe I don't have a vendetta anymore because I think I like this more than a lot of other people. It is Detective Comics number 1074. Written by the Ram V's, Dustin Nguyen on pencils, John Cleese colors, Ariana Mayer on letters. As I said, it is Gotham Nocturne Act Two, Out of Hell Part One. Oh boy, let's get into this. We end up starting out, and there's a building on fire. I thought, man, that looks pretty run down to be the Oregon place because it's not. It's actually another apartment, and this kind of plays out weird because they end up where. The police, Detective Fielding, which we'll get to in a minute, his partner, Detective Nash, they go and they are bringing a guy. They're arresting him for the fire, this building blowing up, and he demands that it wasn't him. He said, it was not me. Listen to my story. Please let me tell you what's happening. He said, me and my lady friend, we were there, you know, cooking things in the apartment, uh, cooking things. They are in a meth lab. I mean, that's just straight up. You know, however you want to take it. But he was cooking 
in the crock pot cricket and then you end up where they hear some noise they go up to the roof and that's where they end up seeing batman and it's funny because this guy's from gotham but he's like the gotham poet because if it's me and i'm getting arrested and they go well what did you see on the roof i'd say it was batman you, you don't have to say the big flying rat the thing that goes bump in the night mr cape Cur- you don't have to get that fancy the guy sounds like he's there introducing things like michael buffer at some fight you're being arrested dude you end up your hands are cuffed behind you just say it was batman and it was but you see that batman's infected by the asthma he looks at them he has glowing green eyes they end up getting upset and he has the shakes and he's like you know and they know the shakes i mean they're down there cooking up the meth for crying out loud and then you have batman stumbling and says morton's That's how we push on forward. But when he does that, he then attacks everybody. So this is a Batman out of his mind, which we know he would be. And when he knocks this guy down, he sees there are a ton of grenades on the ground. Now, you're assuming that he put the grenades there. We didn't really see that. But Batman's not trying to save anybody here. He's beating the crap out of everybody there. And then these grenades blow up, which unfortunately doesn't work well with the meth lab that was going on everything goes up in flames and i don't know after the scene batman whether or not he's being controlled mind whammied by the asthma people die here and i'm surprised people didn't say much more about that going forward and through this week i think screen rant might have a story about it in like three weeks always timely they are but a bunch of people die he said that his lady friend she didn't make it. He went running downstairs, and that's when he ran into the detectives. It looks like that's where he ran into Detective Nash. Now, with all of that, you do see that Batman jumped off the building. That's what he said. The last thing I saw was Batman jumping off the building and running off. Well, you end up having Detective Fielding and Detective Nash throw this guy into their squad car. They're going to bring him downtown. They call Montoya. And Montoya is there with what is the crazy bulletin board where she's got the string and the pins. I think that maybe one of the reasons why the Gotham PD is so behind on things is because they're still doing things with string and pins. You would hope that they have some sort of updated tech that they don't have to do this. But there she is, classic. And they are actually tracking where Batman seems to be popping up. And he's popping up. In crazy ways, blowing up buildings, setting fires. He's doing some bad stuff. So all in all, you wonder, okay, what is happening here? What's happening with Batman being, you know, is he controlled by the asthma? All this. Well, yes, he is. But in this issue, it's a pretty cool play. As this detective fielding, he's trying to figure out he is a guy who knows more about Batman even kind of hinting by the end that he might be making the connection or already knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne. This is a guy who was saved by Batman from a scarecrow attack way back in 2018 in Batman's Secret Files number one in a story that was written by Ram V with Jorge Fornace art. It's a pretty good story about Batman saving this detective. And unfortunately, he's being fear talks and he sees Batman as just an awful creature like you always do when he's in the fear toxin. So he ends up saying that Batman saved my life. He had to go through a lot of therapy. And I like that the idea where this is something that continues on, but it also shows you that aftermath 
of some of the awful things. And because of that, just this little bit of this issue, I don't know if this is how we're going to continue fully going forward, but with Fielding and Nash and the way that they're trying to track down Batman, who's lost his mind, it really does play out and with Montoya there, especially too. It plays out like a Gotham Central type deal where you are getting that grounded detective story, but not through Batman. And I think that that's a cool play. It's detective comics, but you're going old, old school when you used to have like 10 different stories in there. And this one is more about fielding as this kind of little aside. And I like it because he says, why are we just chasing Batman? Why are we trying to bring the Batman in? Why don't we try to figure out not where or what he, why he's doing it, where he might end up, try to make a connection, try to figure it out through, you know, the mind of Batman, which then segues into the mind of Batman. And here is the play of this and why I like it. What we get is we're going to get little of the mind flashbacks, things that Bruce Wayne thinks about when he thinks about Gotham. When he thinks, what is Gotham to him? Why is Gotham so important? What are the great memories? Things that would ground you, things that connect you to the city. And this first one is that his dad, Thomas, obviously took him over to the docks and they ended up getting an ice cream. Thomas ends up getting these like like lemon heads, these sour deals, nonsense, like hard candies. And while he gives this ice cream cone, though he says it's a banana sundae, I call bullshit on that. I think that Thomas is insane. This is why you know that there's craziness of the brain going on. I think that the asthma, when it affects you, it makes you think that a big giant ice cream cone is a banana sundae with chocolate syrup. This more looks like a vanilla ice cream with a little crap bunch of like chocolate on the butt. It looks like nonsense. It's what it looks like. But it's not what he's saying it is. I think there might have been a weird play between the art and the story. But you do end up having. Thomas with this bag, and it weirds me out, too, that you have just a paper bag with just hard candies thrown in. I don't know why that's old school. It is, but I don't like it. I wouldn't go and buy from a store, and the store is Morton's. That's why when Batman was on the roof, he's Morton's. So in this play, you're wondering, what is he doing besides eating an ice cream cone that isn't a sundae and, and the nonsense hard candies? But what you have is that At first, it appears to me that Batman is thinking back at these memories and trying desperately to keep his sanity. But if you read it more and look into the layers, what is happening in my mind is that the asthma is looking for the things that make Gotham City important to Batman. Make Gotham City the thing that he needs to have and where are his connections to the city and it's now going to destroy them because we see. In this, and there's a nice conversation about, hey, hey, Brucey boy, your grandfather used to bring me here to let me know, like, hey, you always have to remember what's important. When you despair, you think of the things that connect you to the city. The city is always important, and you can end up doing this and never get too obsessed with, you know, your obsessions and your vengeance, things like that. Always remember the city as you see. That the asthma in the of the mind big giant wolf is trying to eat these, trying to eat these memories, trying to eat the connection that Batman has to Gotham. So it's it's this neat thing. I think that this is a very clever thing by Ram V to first off show us what connects 
Bruce Wayne Batman to the city in the same time that you see it's being eaten and destroyed by the asthma in a very visual way. So you have this and you end up where eventually Thomas Wayne says, okay, now, and he says, do you understand, Bruce? It has to be more about the vengeance or justice or saving Gotham. It has to be about the little things, don't you see? And that's pretty much, again, this was like the smell the roses, don't overlook things, the trees for the forest, all that that he says that is his dad, Bruce's grandfather, they used to come here to remind themselves of that because it's a nice deal. They're watching the sunset in the bay while you're eating hard candies that at first I have to admit, I thought he was like popping Ritalin or something or maybe even like, hey, you know, I'm going to have this here painkiller. And Oh, well, it's, it's just sour candies. I get it. And even then, you have that adult Thomas who said, and and you can imagine that this was the same scene with him and his grandfather, and he was eating the ice cream, but eventually, you you get the taste for the sour stuff, right? So it's kind of a neat little play, and it's a nice way to show Thomas giving young Bruce some advice, and then actually of the mind saying, and, and that's the thing, in Bruce's mind, you still have that presence to try to avoid this, try to get away from the asthma. Unfortunately, as Bruce runs away from Thomas Wayne of the mind, telling him to remember the small things and remember these things, you end up having him turn into a skeleton. And he says, run, save what you can, because this is going to be gone. And then you end up seeing the giant asthma wolf just chop down on the skeleton Thomas Wayne taking away that memory, taking away another little cog of connection that Batman has to the city. Because remember, the asthma that ends up infecting him from the orgums, they want to make Batman their new guy. They want to end up controlling him, and this is how it goes on. And I think that it is a really neat play. It's also a very odd play to come out of a two-month hiatus and when people are going to jump in because they're not going to know what the hell is going on. But if you do, I think it's kind of neat. So once you get that in your mind of what's happening there, you go forward to think, okay, well, what's next? What else ends up connecting them to the city? And while that's going on, you do end up having Fielding and Nash trying to catch up, trying to do things, because the next thing it looks like is he went to the reservoir. And he ended up all out of sorts. And when they do end up going to talk to the people of the reservoir that saw him, you do end up having Croc. Killer Croc says, hey, listen, I saw Batman. Man, he was tore up. He had problems. His cape, it was singed. I've never seen him like this. He ended up looking demonic. He ran off to the old fairground. He ended up where, you know, they've been abandoned. He ended up, it looks exactly like where Joker would always go, killing joke, all that sort of deal. And even says that at this point, these fairgrounds, they are abandoned. And the only people there have been the Joker gang. And those clowns, you don't joke around with them. It's a weird line. But you end up Croc telling this to Fielding and Nash. And they don't believe like, oh, man, what did Batman beat you up? And you do see like Batman go and walk into the Joker gang. R.I.P. Joker gang. They're not going to end up awake for very long. But when you have Fielding talking to Croc, he says, oh, man, you got beat up. Did Batman beat you up? And he goes, no, 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 he didn't beat me up. It's afterwards that woman from the television, you know, with the eyes. This is. 
Shavhad Urhad, the Orgum leader. The Orgums ended up coming in. She came in with a bunch of her Asmer army, the possessed people that they ended up getting even when the Arkham place or the Orgum place went down. And she ended up roughing up everybody. And then they were talking. They're looking for Batman as well. They're trying to find him because, again, Batman's trying to get away from, you know, the whole Asmer control. And they want to go grab him and make sure that he, you know, gets controlled and that they can do this. So they were there asking what was going on as well. They ended up roughing up everybody to kind of get them in line and then said, we're looking for Batman. It'd be best if you help us find him. You know, Mr. Jones and then Whalen says, no, it's Croc. It's killer Croc, lady. He probably got punched there, too. But he ended up saying, yeah, they they didn't ask as nice as you guys. But you guys are pretty nice. Thanks a lot. And actually says, and I love Croc, and I think that Croc, people end up not doing enough with Croc at one point, even being Roy's AA guy. Like, he does end up, I love Croc with the heart of gold, and he actually has this by the end and says, hey, Fielding, look out for yourself. Because he sees that Fielding isn't really being a bad guy here. He's doing his job. He's trying to find Batman, and Batman's out of his head, out of his mind. So he ends up where... You know, Fielding says, you're free to go, Croc. And Croc says, you look out for yourself, Detective Fielding. Uh, looks like the damn end of the world out there. Because when they go, the fairgrounds, they're on fire. Again, this is the asthma affecting the deal of trying to get rid and burn down the memories, physical and mental, to get Batman on their side. And we do see what the memory here was. And it's a really good one. And it's a sad thing because this actually ties in well with the Chip Zdarsky Batman as well, because in this memory, it was Bruce Wayne buying the fairground, you know, the grounds. He ends up, because he's there with young Dick Grayson, it's almost that, you know, the next generation deal, like you had Thomas and young Bruce, now you have young Dick and older Bruce, and he's saying to Dick, I bought the grounds because you always have to stay grounded. You always have to remember, you know, you end up always having to remember the good and the bad, always have that connection as you then have nightwing of the mind actually say to bruce it's not just that though you need help you need other people and he's doing things because this is where they're imagining the whole flying graysons it's a weird way that this dick grayson says i trained with the flying graysons now you train with your mom and dad but it's weird how he says it but he says you know, I trained with them before I trained with you. You know what the key to a good trapeze act is, Bruce? Letting go, trusting that there's someone on the other side to catch you. Now, you say that, and you could take that two ways. Is this the asthma trying to trick them, or is this the idea that you have to get people to help you? You can't do this alone, because what it twists in, and there is that weird play that each of these memories, before they end up getting swallowed up, you do end up having little tiny last second, two minute warning, Hail Mary little lessons where when Dick Grayson says, listen, I learned to leap into the light. You taught me a lot, but we're not the same. Don't you see, Bruce? I had you. And then, but who has Bruce? He says, I know you think you need your darkness, but the trapeze is not a solo act. Do you ever wonder if your darkness needs you too, And this seems to be that play of Dick Grayson of the mind in this memory that's now going to get eaten by the asthma. Him saying, you're going to have to use Barbados. Barbados is in your mind. He's the darkness. You are going to have to rely on him. 
You're going to have to because you have to battle this asthma. This asthma is in your head. It's going to take over. It's already taking over. It's going to kill all your memories. You're going to have no connection. The one connection you will always have and have left is the darkness because you're Batman. That's what you rely on. That's what you go with. And then it's really cool because Batman from there kind of like comes to like while that was going on, he's been walking around the city. He's been drifting around. And he pretty much ends up in Crime Alley and doesn't know why. It's like, oh, my God. But that's where you end up then with Barbados coming out and saying, yeah, you cling to the dark alley. It's meaningless sentiment. But I think that we're going to have to use each other. We're going to have to go and says, but if I lose my memories now and they're devoured, all that remains is a husk. He's having this of the mind conversation with Barbados of what he should do. And he says, what of you then? Who will you torment? And it's kind of a cool play where Batman, from what Dick Grayson said, he's not just saying to Barbados, like, hey, uh, you need me. I need you. Hey, let's do it. He actually tries to get Barbados. Listen, you're going to have to help me because if I get rid of you or you, if I'm done, you're not going to have anybody to torment. You're not going to be able to have anybody almost like a Joker Batman situation, like that whole the love affair of the mind but this is barbados and yeah you have to figure out and they're going to try to figure out and you do have barbados like standing there looking really big with this big cloak and you do see the wolf coming up and then what barbados says i cannot stop the creature that falls to you but i can stave it off this place it is real it's reality it's reality lends its weight find more of these remembrances more of these places Anchor yourself in them, and we might be able to hold out. And that's what he, you see. As I said, I think that what the clever thing with Ram V is when you start out, you think that that's what he's doing already. You think that he's trying to get to these places because that's what he remembers. I can't forget these things. If I forget these things, I don't have my anchor. Oh, my God. But then we realize, oh, no, this is actually the asthma affecting Batman to go and destroy them. And in the mind... You have the eating, but in the regular real world, it's getting things blown up. It's burning things down. It's doing all those things. So it's in the physical and the mental. And it's really, really cool. I thought, again, maybe surprising some people that I actually really think that Ram V did something a little bit different here. And after a couple of reads, I liked it because then when we end, you do end up having what looks like Barbados going off to stave up he says i can't win this battle myself you got to go off and do this but it looks like at this point possibly you're gonna be able to have batman little clearer thoughts because you end up having barbados go to try to stave off the whole asthma wolf in that you end up getting the beep that there is oh my god we have a sighting what's going on where is it oh it's behind the old monarch theater wait a minute and that's fielding and he's he is making these connections more of the Waynes, 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 because everywhere that you're going, it has that weird connection to the Waynes. Is this where Fielding actually realizes, oh, my God, that Batman's Bruce Wayne. Maybe that helps out. Maybe it doesn't. It actually is kind of a cool concept. I worry about Fielding because things like that often get you killed. Not by Batman, but all of a sudden you just get thrown off a building randomly by somebody. You don't usually live then. But maybe we'll have that. It's kind of a neat play in that it actually reminds me back when Harper Rowe, she figured things out. And then even the Tim Drake. like, And really, this plays off in my mind more of the Tim Drake because this is a Batman 
in the darkness. He needs the light. He needs somebody to pull him out like Tim Drake ended up realizing. And that's why I think that it's cool where Fielding said, let's not just try to arrest Batman because they are trying to bring him in. And at one point, Fielding tried to get out of it. He said to Montoya, I don't want to be involved. I have that connection. Can I just say, yeah, let me bail from this one. I'll go do whatever. And she said, we don't really have anybody else to do it. Nobody else is going to line up to arrest Batman. You're on the case. You and Nash, let's go. So in that it is kind of a neat play, though, that he is there trying to help Batman. He's the one who owes Batman his life, he said. So he might try to figure things out a little bit more. And yeah, you end up where that's the big deal, Crime Alley. That's the last site. Oh, my God, we got to get there as Renee Montoya is looking at that board with what looks like the yarn and the pins. But I really like that it is the start of something new. I'm not going to tell you that it really pushes things forward at a Mach 10 speed. It doesn't. It looks like we're going to end up meandering more. But as a start and as a concept, I thought it was really neat even though I wish we had some more hand-holding for newer readers or people who may have like fallen off the book a bit and they just want to see what's going on. It just kind of has more layers if you have been reading and know what leads into it. You do end up having a Dan Waters, Ten-Eyed Man backup, which kind of you know evolves and sets the Ten-Eyed Man to go out. I haven't been really reading any of the Dan Waters, Ten-Eyed Man stuff, so I'm going to actually skip that. We have been skipping it. So it's not like I'm just getting lazy, though I am. But that's that. And with that in this, I do think I'm not going to, you know, jump over the moon on this here. It's not like that. I do like the art, but I'm going to give this a 7.5. I do like it each time I read it. So it is one of those things that you can say, okay, it might be a smarter story than it looks on the surface level, at least for me. So that's kind of cool. There is a funny play, too. At the end, you end up having Fielding just randomly, randomly ask Nash, hey, Nash, you ever watch an old 60s film film called The Swimmer? The Swimmer, what? Ah, never mind, long shot. Now, I ended up, I've never seen The Swimmer. I ended up looking up trying to get what that connection is. The only thing that I can think is, this is Ram V, given the piss out of some of the reviewers like me who don't realize what he thinks are uh, uh, layered story that eventually will be looked at better than as it's coming out i really do think because that's kind of what the swimmer was it's a surreal 60s movie that ended up where people didn't get it at first but then afterwards years later they realized oh man it's a cult classic things like that i actually think that that might be what he's doing here that's a side little shade at people that don't understand the genius that is Ram V that usually drives me nuts. And if it is that, it's kind of bullshit. But it made me kind of laugh when I saw that. <laughs> I don't get it. Oh, I'm a dummy. But 7.5, I did like it. I hope that everybody gives it a shot, even if you have fallen off of Detective Comics a bit. Maybe this could be the way that we all get back on, get a little more positive, go forward. All right, because that's the highest I've gone in a while. On this old Detective Comics, but that's that. I'm going to move on to Spirit World. All right, we're going to continue on with Spirit World number five, written by Alyssa Long, pencils and inks by Haining, colors by Sebastian Chang, letters by Steve Wands. This has, you know, quickly become my least favorite of the We Are Legends books. I actually liked the first issue. I kind of got burned by it, though, because I ended up saying to some people, hey, you should check it out. Pretty good. 
it, it has gone downhill since then. And we ended up, me and Aiden, talking about the vigil. It's that weird play in this as well with the idea, why are you just getting two story beats in the penultimate issue? Now it is setting up a giant battle, but even going through this issue, having read all the others, I was confused. I didn't exactly get what was going on. You're hinting at a lot of things. And I'm going to say some things that might be, you know, 100% false. I'm not trying to lead you down a bad path here. I'm not going to lead you astray on purpose. But me reading through this each time, I just end up with a little bit more kind of, hey, I think I get this a little bit more with each reading. I kind of like it a little bit more. But my big overall feeling by the end of every time I read it is, why are you mucking things up? Why aren't you giving us a straightforward story? Because I'm interested in the character of Xanthi. I love Constantine and Cass. They're there. I want to know what's happening with Bowen, Popo. But already we're starting to muck things up. In this, you add the Jade Court. You have concepts that might actually reveal what happened with Xanthi to get them at this point but i don't know that we really needed wanted or were told that was about this also the idea of monsters showing up that might be something else that also might be a twisty turny way of getting a big battle that you think that you're on the right side then you're on the wrong side then you're on the right side i don't know then you're on the left side i have no idea i have no idea points what is really going on here but overall I still want to like this. And it's funny, too, in this week of books, I think this was a very down week. I probably said that before. But there are little things to try to grab onto. And I'm desperately reaching for the lifeline of this Spirit World book. But it's just out of my grasp. And I hate the idea that we're going to get this final issue next month. And then it'll just be so confusing, so convoluted, that nobody's just going to be able to say, all right, that was a cool book. I think that character was pretty awesome. Xanthi's neat. I want to see more Spirit World. I think most people would be scratching their heads if they're even reading this anymore. And I actually had some people ask why I'm even reviewing this this week or even reviewing it anymore. But this is one of the things that me and Eric, we ended up jumping into these We Are Legend books. And we like City Boy. I like Vigil enough. I wish we were getting more story. And I did start off liking this. So I like new characters. I like new things, new concepts. But when you're giving new characters and new concepts, there's one thing you should be. Or two things, clear and concise. You have to let people know exactly why they should like these characters, why they should like the book. And this has got to be so convoluted that it's driving me insane. But here we go. We start out just as the getting back into the story. You ended up where last issue you had problems with Bowen. He's infected. Something's going on. He's getting possessed. Eventually, he's exorcist. And, you know, the idea of a demon talking through him, maybe spitting out pea soup. I'm not sure. Maybe they don't have pea soup in the spirit world, even though there's so many monstrosities that they probably do. They probably do have pea soup. And I don't know about you. I actually enjoy pea soup like once every 10 years. I might be due sometime soon, too. I I will have it, and I'll say, it's not as bad as, you know, it looks, obviously, but also, eh, and then 10 years later, I start to get the itch again. But you end up Bowen's possessed. You have a spirit saying, you know, follow the clues, go through the door, come and get me. Xanthi says, I think that we should go and get the help of the Jade Court in the Jade Tower. And Popo says, not them. 
those jerks. Well, in this issue, we are introduced then to the Jade Court. We find out, I think we already knew maybe, that the spirits of the dead go to the Jade Tower, and the Jade Court is the people who end up granting them their reincarnation. There's a lot of people outside milling about. It's like, you know, back in the day, a Limp Biscuit concert, they're trying to get in. It's sold out somehow. Maybe because Eric and all his buddies are there. Maybe it's a juggalo event. I don't know. But all of that continues to be, okay, the Jade Court, they're sus. They're, you know, the typical standoffish, fickle gods who are playing games with things and having their tea parties on a bed of gold. You know, that sort of thing. Sounds like, you know, any random YouTuber or TikToker nowadays. But you end up where you get to the end and I'm like, Okay, who's the bad guy? Because in the meantime, Popo kind of is MIA, but then a big giant monstrosity, a giant demon woman with crab legs that may or may not be connected to the eight million eyed thing that came through the portal when Xanthi and Constantine first got into the spirit world. Like I said, it's convoluted. Maybe it's that, maybe it's not. Plus, it looks like overall we're going to find out a little bit about Xanthi and how they ended up. Being part of both worlds, living and dead, I don't know. But one of the big things of last issue also ended with Constantine and Cass being possessed. They were being possessed, it seemed, by that demon that was calling them forward. Hey, follow us. Let's go down these rickety weird staircases into the down below. And they end up attacking Xanthi. You have Cass with glowing eyes attack Xanthi. Constantine is using magic while he's trying to hold his hand back. And that's where Xanthi realizes that while they are being controlled, they're still conscious. This isn't a full out possession. It's more of like a puppeteer type thing. But in this case, the puppet can fight back. And so Xanthi has to figure out how to break this control. Starts thinking, well, I could use that binding spell my mom used on me and Constantine back in issue two and that wacky one that really started the downfall of this book. But Xanthi doesn't want to control people. Xanthi doesn't want to use that spell. That's my mom's spell. If I ended up in the kids at school found out that I was using my mom's spell, they'll never let me hear the end of it. So she decides she's going to twist and turn about the spell. It's going to be a crisscross applesauce where she said, and you got to end up in this saying, okay, it's magic, spirit world. Uh, I guess, I guess it can work. There's not really an explanation except that spells, they don't like to stay static. These whole things, they want to end up evolving and the evolving of this is making the binding deal. You have the sigils and then welcome Cass and Constantine into the Kumbaya circle. We're all going to hold hands and we're going to think and bind and remember and anchor to all the people that we love and like and family. And it ends up being that play of, all right, the power was within us all along, the power of friendship. Now we can move on because we're not being controlled anymore. But there's a little bit of a, you know, a side deal. There's an asterisk because at this point, maybe Alyssa Wong thinks that, you know, Jimmy Boy here is reading it. Oh, you mean Constantine and Cast are no longer possessed and controlled? Well, then why aren't they getting the hell out of hell? Why aren't they leaving Spirit World? Because Spirit World, to me at this point, pretty much is like 
Cincinnati. The best thing to do is get the hell out of Cincinnati. Let's get the hell out of Spirit World, right? Are you with me? But you can't because there's a little smidgen of that darkness still in both of them. Oh, no. If you go back to the living world, if you get out of Cincinnati, you're going to take the darkness with you. Oh, we can't do it. Let's move on. So that's where you end up seeing outside the Jade Tower where this big portal opens up and out pops the monstrosity that is a woman. She's kind of green skinned, has eyes in her bosom and also has giant monstrosity looking spider legs. I'm telling you, not sexy, though I'm sure some people might be into it. Not me. So you end up where, and and really, it's the green skin. That That's really the whole play. I don't mind the spider legs and the eyes and the bosom, right? They're fine. So you end up where this monstrosity, this demon comes out. We're not really sure who, what, when, whatever about this. But in the Jade Court, you do end up having the verdant sorceress end up saying, oh, my God, don't we recognize that monstrosity? And the Jade Court start conferring to each other. I don't know. We see a lot of people, man. There's a lot of monstrosities down here. I wanted somebody to get up like, this lady has spider legs and eyes in her boobs. I don't know that we've seen that many a time, but who knows what happens in the spirit world. But even before that, like Alyssa Wong does, she adds a ton of characters. And we are introduced to the Jade Court. You end up getting the Carmine Star. The Amber Apostle, the Gilded General, the Snowfall Blade, the Verdant Sorceress, who I mentioned, the Midnight Eve, the Cobalt Advisor, and of course, the Prince of Dawn. They're all in a pretty cool page. I like the art in this book. It gets busy at points, but I still like it. It's very colorful. I really like the colors a lot. But in this Jade Court, you end up having Carmine Star being the head of the court, and you really keep focusing on the verdant sorceress as this goes on xanthi kind of gets a eureka moment and thinks that popo is at least involved with the verdant sorceress if not is the verdant sorceress still because the staff that the verdant sorceress has which it's not like xanthi sees the staff again it's just kind of eureka moment oh my god what's popo up to i think that there's some connection here and popo has the staff of the verdant sorceress and we get to see that right so is that the play is the verdant sorceress popo and then the whole play here is that popo being against the jade court is trying to manipulate things to get xanthi cast and uh constantine sorry to fight the jade court and i think that's what it is and at one point you're maybe thinking, well, that seems sus. And oh my God, I thought Popo was good. I think that the play here is the idea of the Jade Court, you know, kind of not letting some people get reincarnated. They end up stealing a memory at the beginning. It's almost like that's their, you know, let's shotgun a, a memory. Hey, let's get this memory. And it does look like it might be possibly Xanthi. And their deal, I thought at first it might be Bowen as well. It gets a little weird, but you do end up seeing at one point that the Burden Sorceress did try to help Xanthi and might be the reason of being between the living and the dead. We'll have to see. That seems to be this, but it's convoluted. Now, in this, you have the Gilded General they call Goldie. Looks like Skeletor in gold armor. Pretty cool. Has a big sword. 
when this monstrosity comes through, you end up having Goldie. I want to attack. I'm bored as shit. I have had nothing to fight in centuries. Now I have something to fight. Let me at him. And you have the, what I said, the Carmine star seems to be the big play here says, no, no, no. We can't do that. You're not allowed to go. And when this monstrosity comes down, I already said outside of the Jade Tower, there's, you know, people milling about. They're queuing up. They want to get reincarnated. So there's all of these spirits wanting to pass on. And that's what this big monstrosity crazy demon is eating, actually eating these people, probably innocent people waiting to be reincarnated. And you do end up having the Carmine Star say, no, 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 just wait, just wait. We'll see what happens. Let's see what happens when this monstrosity runs out of, you know, spirits and and dead to eat. And it's just like a game to them. And I think, again, you're supposed to get this idea of the Jade Court being really like bad. But I, I don't really have that connection to them because they were just introduced. And, you know, like they say, gods be gods. God's doing God things. Right? I'm telling you, I'm not sitting there going, oh, my God, the Carmine star. That Carmine star has always been evil. Remember back in the day when the Carmine star ended up double dipping chips at the party? Remember when we had that memory? We were shotgunning. Oh, my goodness gracious. Bow guarding all the memories. Oh, my God. So I don't really have the connection. So in this part, you're kind of confused. Of, okay, who's good? Who's bad? I hope and pray that that is the big reveal at the beginning of next issue. And then we have a big fight to maybe reorganize the Jade Court so that these people can be reincarnated easier and better. But is that what you thought the book was going to be about? Because if I'm right, and that's kind of what we get, we have gone in a way, way off track deal of what this book was and is and and continues being. So we'll have to see. Eventually, they've let Goldie out. Uh, you have Skeletor in his golden armor. He's going to go out and he's going to end up fighting this monstrosity. While that's going on, you still have Xanthi, Constantine, and Cass. They're going down. They're not following the yellow brick road. They're following the rickety staircase. And they come to a portal. We already saw the portal that opened up outside of the Jade Tower. This is obviously the same portal. And... They're like, oh, my God. And and even then, it, it seems like they don't know what to do. You end up having Xanthi say, I know this magic, this portal. It's Popo's. So, again, there you go. Is that the idea that Popo, still as the verdant sorceress, has allowed this Wan Yu Jing, this monstrosity lady, to come through? Or is that demon we saw, is that Popo? It's very odd and very confusing as they go. But that's where... Yeah, Xanthi, get that connection. Oh, my God. This is a Jade Tower portal, but it's Popo's magic. What haven't you told us, Popo? You have that same staff as the Verdant Sorceress. Are you her? Are you that? I just want it just clear cut. Just give us an answer. You don't have to string us along all these different ways to make a good story. In fact, it gets me confused, and I don't know what the hell's going on. But like, oh, my God, what haven't you told us, Popo? Let's go through this portal. And when you end up having Xanthi try to do it, you know, how you open a magic portal, just stab it with your sword. Xanthi can't do it. So what do you do when you can't do it by stabbing it with your sword? You get your two buds, Constantine and Cass, to come over and say, hey, 
Why don't we do that friendship thing again? Hold hands and we'll be able to do it together, which they do. No explanation. (laughs) Again, this is the idea of spirit world. That's what we have. Hey, how did that happen? Spirit world. Oh, what was that with that bindings? Spirit world. All right. And as they go through the portal, you do end up having shifting weird memories flashback deal that does look to be the idea of Popo as the verdant source was possibly saving Xanthi from getting erased like we saw at the one point at the beginning, all this going on, that at one point maybe Xanthi was not going to get reincarnated, maybe used for some bad intent, and it looks like Popo might have saved her against the wishes of possibly the Carmine star. We'll have to see. That's that's how it looks. But as they go down and get into the courtyard uh, at the Jade Temple, you end up where they realize, oh, no, this monstrosity is attacking. But in the meantime, Goldie, you know, the Gilded General, Skeletor, and Gold is attacking as well. And now they're both going to go at each other. And it looks like the – it looks like Goldie is kind of like in this – I don't know, like rabid type deal fair, like really wants the taste of things, really wants to kill, slice and dice. And when he comes across Santhi, realizes, oh, my God, you are living but not dead, but not ours, but not familiar. And that's where you get that play of that connection. Santhi, Jade Court doesn't remember things probably, but Popo was the one that ended up saving her from what would be the Carmine Star where you even have the Carmine star watching this battle go, oh, Popo, you are full of surprises, you bitch. And it's kind of a funny play. Again, this took me so many readings to even make up this nonsense in my head, but that's what I think is going on. Somebody might be reading it as well. You know, the three other people (laughs) that are reading this book are probably like, man, Jim, you're way off. But if if I'm right, it's a, a, a good concept. But getting it on the paper is nonsense. It's so convoluted. It is so all over the place. And you end up then with our heroes, Xanthi, Constantine, Cass, right? Ready to battle, but who are they going to fight? Because you have on one side, crab lady, boobs, eyes, nonsense. She, she's there, bigger than life. And then you end up having Skeletor in his gold armor on the other side, but Xanthi. Uh, looks like they're teaming up with Sus Demon Lady to get into the Jade Court and to get with that. I don't know, but again, I say all this and I'm 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 frustrated. Trying to go through this, I hope that that doesn't play out because I don't want to seem frustrated because of this book. But I am. I'm frustrated because I want to like it. I want to get into this and have this be like that little book. I've talked about it a lot with Eric. Eric would know. He would agree. I end up wanting to like these books that other people don't like because I think, oh, my God, look at me. Smart, big brain. Jimmy's going to figure this one out. I'm going to end up, you know, getting this and I'm going to tell people it's that, this and the other thing. I'm going to blow people's minds. That's where you blow people's minds. If you end up having like, hey, Batman, Superman, world's finest, Mark, Wade, Dan Mora. And I come on and I say, hey, got pretty good art. Is that blowing your mind? <laughs> is that if I hey, it's like Silver Age fun. That's not blowing your mind. I'm here to blow your mind. But in this, I don't know. I can blow your mind. It might have blown mine. I don't know. I feel a little goofy. Uh, but overall, 
there's concepts and if Alyssa Wong could do something, something that I don't think they can do, which is tie everything together and give us an ending that makes me think, oh my God, I want this to continue, then man, I'm going to give that a high score. But in this, a lot of me guessing at things, trying to figure it out. So overall, the highest I can go with this is a six out of 10. I'm sure people still think that's high, but I do really like the art. I do like the concepts. I like the idea of the Jade Court, but the Jade Court should have been in this in issue two. Maybe show them behind the scenes, maybe show them manipulating things, not just this book ends up being Alyssa Wong feeling like they're writing in a stream of consciousness. Eventually, oh man, you know what? I would like to have a Jade Court. Boom, Jade Court's in. Let's do this go. And you end up not really setting up a story. And if I was an editor, I would say to Alyssa Wong, listen, again, you're dealing with new characters. You're dealing with a spirit world wackiness that most people are going to need to have their hand held a bit. And that's what these first six issue minis should be. It should be holding hands. I had mentioned throughout this, you know, Ram V at this point on Detective Comics, he is not holding anybody's hand, but that's what he's doing. But we know Batman. We know Gotham. Yeah, there's different concepts. We know the basis. We have our footing already going in. And then he's playing off that, maybe subverting it. Who knows? I can never tell what that guy's up to because Ram V for Vendetta. But when you have this new cut, you got to give people their footing. And I do think that it would be best served to give more of a basic intro story that makes the characters and the world that you're dealing with just seem cool, seem fun. I want to get done this and say, oh, my God, I had so much fun. Even if the story wasn't mind-bending, even if it wasn't mind-blowing, the idea, man, that was so much fun, and there's not a lot of fun books around, man, I wish that that could continue, and then get deeper into it, then get the deep cuts, then do that mind-blowing attempt. Attempt, I say, because I don't know if they could do it anyway, but that whole play, just give us a basic story to get us involved and connected to the characters. I don't think that we have had that just yet. I don't know that a final issue can do that, but I'm hoping. But yes, six out of ten. And we're going to move on. And since Eric isn't around, we have added a couple things you've already heard and hopefully have been enjoying. Me and Luke Hollywood talk a little manga, a little Superman versus Meshi, a little Bat Baby, Joker Operation 1, Operation Jokers, right? It just goes off the tip of your tongue. But also here, next up, we're going to have Batman Beyond Mark come on and talk about Batman Beyond, the new Batman Beyond by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. He has been reviewing it, but I've had it on the Patreon, and I'm going to put it on the regular show here, so I hope everybody enjoys it. So I'm going to take it off here and take it away, Mark. What's up, Weird Science? This is Batman Beyond Mark, and I'm here to talk to you about Batman Beyond, Neo-Gothic number three, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing. Artist is Max Dunbar. Colorist is Sebastian Chang. And letter is Hassan Ostaman Elhau. I've probably pronounced that wrong, and like always, I, I apologize. So, we're going to start with the cover. The cover's decent. It's definitely in one of the more eye-catching ones. We have Terry running away from kind of a giant owl statue, as it says, our trial with the Court of Owls, who will survive, as we see a bunch of zombified talons, feels like an oxymoron, but it's like they're fungus, zombified talons kind of rising up to go after Terry. As I said, it's a, it's a very eye-catching cover. But we open up with our trademark montage pages and panels. We have a line of text, then we have an image, then a line of text, then an image. 
And this time we know who it is. It is Beam Boomma. And we're going to get through this whole thing quickly because it really feels like Beam Boomma is, how to put this, uh, panicking. And I don't know. It's, it, you'll see what I mean. So the narration on the first page is, I don't know if you can hear me or if you're even still alive down there, but we're sending this in whispers on every old hard cable, running Morse code through the energy grid as far down as we can. A million avenues, one message. Cave to Batman. Gotham is dying. So we see initially Terry and Kyle are at the marker to the grave of the Court of Owls, and he's messing with some of the electronics on the wall where he's getting this message from. We see Gestalt in the Batcave sending out the message, and Boonma saying the message, getting the message across. And then we see them going into the cave. And then we get to the next page, and it continues, Beam Boomba continues, The city is afraid, Batman, and Lumos feeds as well on fear as he does on glory. And then we get a picture of an alleyway with a bunch of missing children pictures and, and kids crying. Then we get, He's announced an acquisition of the Narrows. He's promising more neighborhoods by the end of the week. We see him kind of looking over at it. Then we see like three buildings exploding. Then we see him smiling kind of evilly. And we're supposed to be getting this kind of, oh, yes, he's he's taking over. He's destroying the city. He's doing all of this stuff. First of all, if he was, because it looks like he's doing this stuff immediately, not just by the end of the week, Boonma. So if this is really a problem, maybe convey that and not say it's a problem in the future. But I don't know, like to be replaced with his city of light, Gotham is dying and Lumos is buying the corpse. I don't know. I get the vibe they're going for. But once again, their execution is the problem. This has been, we are a couple hours at most since Terry went underground. And it's being treated like he's been there for days or weeks and everything is falling apart. Bean Booma used to be a cop, an apparently pretty good one, and dealt with all the other stuff in New Year and is just absolutely panicking. It's like, oh no, he was able to do the thing he said he was going to do. Everybody panic. Their, their message is good, but how, once again, how they've conveyed it is garbage. And we get more of this as Terry and Kyle open up and go into the crypt. Every minute you're down there, the ground is falling out from us here. Batman, Terry, we don't have much time left. This is an effectively an open line. Don't say his name. If it's between the children in the dark and the entire city, please don't choose the dark. And that's when they go in. And we get the title page, which it's cool that we see Terry going down and we see the giant owl statue. It feels like the waste of a page. So they go in and there's all of these owl masks along the wall and this fungus growing out of them. Pretty much Terry tells Kyle to be careful as they're going in. And we get actually some some timetable things, which is a thing we haven't ever gotten really throughout the series. Is that apparently when he was 17, so at some point before the beginning of Neo Year, or before even the uh, the original piece that led into Neo Year, he had a month of training of how to deal with the owls. So that's interesting. And he explains who the court of the owls are to Kyle, who didn't know. And then the masks start glowing, or the eyes start glowing, and he freaks out. And Terry just kind of mocks him. He's like, magic? Uh, you thought you were an expert on that? And he points out, it's like, you know, it's bioluminescence. Like, there's no magic in this. This is this is science. But Kyle does point out that this isn't magic, but this is what the garden looked like before it took the kids. And I was curious about that. And I went back and I'm like, was this, was this what the garden looked like? No. No, this is not what the garden looked like at all. This is not what the garden looked like in any way, shape, or form. And Terry hears something as because there's something calling for him. So they keep going down the corridor with all the masks. And then some hands, just like terrible, terrifying, like monster zombie hands start reaching out. And they keep going. Terry ends up picking up Kyle and they fly across more of the stuff to keep going. 
And at this point, Terry comments, says, I'm worried about being trapped underground with someone who keeps secrets because he, he keeps asking where Kyle learned his magic. Kyle keeps deflecting. Though now he's actually starting to use it a little bit more. And they have a bit of a back and forth before they get into the actual court of the owls. And I do like the word bubbles. They're kind of like, I don't know, like ethereally goopy kind of word panels. As they get in and they're like, yes, Terry, it is. He's like, this isn't over. And they're like, yes, it is. After all these buried years, you've finally come home. And we get a admittedly a pretty cool two-page spread of we see like these, I don't know, husk humans covered in kind of the, the fungus, the bioluminescent fungus uh, with the masks over them. And they're all pointing and accusing at Terry as the door closes behind them. And this is where it actually legitimately gets a bit interesting. As they're like, Batman, so kind, he brings us a present. And Terry's just like, back away slowly. And Kyle's like, you don't have to tell me twice. As the court continues, pretty much, they want Kyle. They even say the cat. The cat with all the garden's secrets under his skin. And then somebody else, or then this person who said that, shows themselves as like, and now, Terry, you bring him to us. And we see a silhouette of... Like a traditional Batman, initially, he's like, through a million eyes, we've watched your journey. I'm so proud of you, Terry. And Terry recognizes the voice. It's Bruce's voice. As the, the figure continues, no, Bruce Wayne was a failed experiment, a mistake along a longer path. Like the talent I once was, like you, Terry, each a step towards my perfection. And at this point, and it's not revealed this issue, but I'm like, who who are we talking with here? Who which which character was this? Are we talking about like a William Cobb, a Calvin Rose, uh, I don't know, a Thomas Wayne Jr., something like that? Who is this character? As I said, this is the interesting part. The garden below has opened our minds. We see the truth now, as you shall too. Terry's like, get, pretty much like, give me back the kids. And the guy's like, no games, Terry, just truth. The garden below needs the children, just as it needs the boy who fed them to it, just as the court needs the heir of Gotham again. It's all right, Terry. You have earned your rest, and the sacrament of the garden has helped us remember our sacred quest. From now until the garden rules, Gotham belongs to the Batman. And we see this this fungus Batman thing that all of the kind of the court are praying to are in awe of. And it looks really interesting. In some ways, reminds me of some of the stuff from Resident Evil uh, Village, just in the sense it's like you have this, this mold, this fungus thing being a human. And then it jumps, and we see that it's kind of, it uses its, its fungus, its mold, or whatever it is, to propel it into different shapes, and to use it as kind of grappling and whips, and to deform itself to fight. As it yells, give us Kyle, and let the garden feed. Terry gets Kyle out of there. Kyle's freaking out that it knows his name. There's a back and forth, and then we get to a fight. Probably the coolest page of this issue, where Terry's like... Your name, like, you're just an echo, a bunch of mus mushrooms playing dress-up. It punches at Terry, Terry blocks it as it's saying, I am vengeance. And then it uses its kind of goopiness to grab Terry's arm. As it says, I am the knight, it tosses Terry across the room. I am the Batman. And the court is like, grasp the Kyle, take the boy, feed the garden. And then we grow, we grow, we rise towards the sun. And the evil monster Batman thing shoots itself up and then slams Terry down. And it, the entire time it's monologuing as Terry's like, Bruce locked you down here for a reason. And I don't care what you're about. You're staying here. I'm stopping you. He ends up kicking the guy away. And then this part gets a, gets a little strange. So he kicks the Batman thing away. And then Terry goes over to Kyle in kind of the middle of the room. And he's like, you know, stop, stop. Look at that stuff. Look at me. What is this about, Kyle? 
No more deflecting. Why do they know you? What is going on? And he's like, I don't know. I've never even been here before. That's kind of the whole point of this. And Terry just straight up asks him, the whole point of this, I hired you. This next panel, I will I will give everybody on the team credit for this. I've been very harsh on them. But Kyle looks very smug in this scene as he says, did you? As he he's kind of glowing purple as he's about to cast a spell. And I just remember looking at that. I'm like, that's a very John Constantine kind of response and expression. So good on them. Because at this point, we find out Kyle's backstory. As a bunch of the court start charging them, he puts up this kind of purple energy shield. He says, you want to know who taught me magic topside? He was the single most cursed person in the entire world. When I thought I was alone, when I thought I'd been left by everyone who ever loved me, he showed me the true meaning of the word. And now we get a flashback to a much younger looking Kyle, very sad, sitting on the curb and a man offering him a cigarette. He gave me a hand and I thought it was friendship, thought he saw something of himself in me. But the truth is, everything's a trick when it comes to John Constantine. And we see a very old John Constantine handing Kyle a cigarette. Well, lighting his own. He looks very, very old. At this point, Terry's like, the street sorcerer? I thought he died years ago. And Kyle says, no, he just leveraged every death into another few years on his soul, collected curses and the like, like they were fancy old records. He taught me what he could just enough. Then he betrayed me, screwed me over, and left me to die the same slow death that kept him kicking throughout the last century. He was the first person I ever saw go into the ground. John Constantine got a final resting place, a garden of light at the end of his god-awful life, and I just got left with all of his curses. Terry continues, so this was a grift, all of it, just to get back at the man who ruined your life? And Kyle's just like, just about, and now it's going to get us both killed. Guess that's life in the gutter, huh? As we see the spell shatter around. At this point, Terry's like, nope, we're not, we're not dying here. We're, we're, we're doing what we're going to do. He kicks some of the court, throws some batarangs. The Batman thing comes to get him, and it starts mocking him like, oh, like you, you missed. Just, you missed your batarangs. You suck. You can't do anything. Terry's like, so I did it. So about that, I super didn't miss. As we see, they hit very key structural points in the wall and then explode, causing the whole room to start caving in. And then we get back to our line of dialogue, image, montage stuff, except this time it's Terry's reply. Beam. It's Terry. Things aren't going great. In a few moments, I'll be stepping down into a labyrinth Bruce buried decades ago, and I still haven't found the kids. Getting close, I can feel it, but each layer I cut through has another just beneath, like scar tissue. It's pure trauma under these streets. At this point, we see people falling. We see Kyle falling. We see Terry kind of flying down to get him. And then we see the Batman monster thing. And it just very casually, just kind of like, yep, I'm falling after them. Whoop-de-doo. Kind of T-posing, falling after him. It's a little humorous. All of this forgotten pain left down here to fester. And the deeper I get, the worse the sickness becomes. Beam, trust me, I don't want to choose the dark, but I'm the only one who can. Then we get, next, the long, strange trip. I can't say that I love this issue. I have a lot of mixed feelings about it. There's some really great parts of this, like actually interesting. As always, the art has been fantastic. I have never really had a problem with the art other than not liking the redesign of the Beyond suit. But all of the Boonma stuff, I'm very sick of her as a character with this. It feels like she's overreacting. It's been a couple hours. Yes, you can be concerned that he hasn't gotten back to you guys, that he hasn't reported in. So you can send out a message being like, hey, things aren't going great up here. Lumos is really stepping up his plan. 
how's it looking down there? As opposed to, oh no, everything up here is a problem. It's all falling apart. You need to abandon your stuff down there to come back up here because, oh no, everything is immediately a problem, even though it isn't. We're specifically told and shown that it isn't an immediate in the this current instant problem. It is a problem for this week, sure. Is it a problem in this hour? No. I feel like Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, just they just kind of like know John Constantine just kind of on a surface level, because I'm not saying John Constantine has never gone in and screwed over an innocent person intentionally because he wanted to get something out of it. It's just typically not his thing to go in and intentionally screw over innocent people who haven't done anything or aren't involved. Does he end up usually causing a ton of collateral damage or getting people who don't deserve it killed or or doomed? Yes. So either this is a, we don't know the whole story and he was legitimately trying to help this kid, or if we take it at face value, they don't know the character. And just like everything else that they seem to write when they try to do legacy of any kind, it's not legacy by prop, by making the new characters really good and like a good successor to the legacy. They try to make them look good by tearing down their, their former, like the, like the comments in this issue and previous issues about how, well, everything Batman tried to hide or every secret he had always came back to bite him. Like he couldn't do anything right is the, the vibe that that gets. Having read all of New Year and now, neo-gothic i do not care for how they they're doing their writing this i do not care for their writing style i'm very sick of the montage stuff it's gotten old it was old then and the fact that they have doubled and tripled down on it has gotten worse this while it had some very cool interesting moments is overall the weakest issue so far, I can't give this any higher than a six five. I wish, I wish I could. I wish I was having more fun with this. I wish this was a better book, but it's not. It's a six five, and I'm, I'm hoping it improves. That would be great. I, I just don't have confidence in the writing team at this point. Well, with that, I have been Batman Beyond Mark. Thank you for listening, and back to the podcast. My goodness, Eric is canceled. Maybe that explains everything. I was trying to find Maybe. a song for me and my man Zach to do the last section of books. So I figured, hey, that's a bit of an explanation song. Who knows? But I'm here with Zach. What up, Zach? What's up, Jim? What's up? And we have two books to end this 
very bad week of comics. This is, and I apologize. I'm probably like, this is probably going to be the 10th time I apologize to everybody this week with these books. Uh, sometimes, you know, they get you down as well. And you got to keep on going, keep on keeping on. But thankfully, we got two things for me and Zach to talk about here. And one of them is Green Arrow, which I have enjoyed. And the other one is the Tales of the Titans by by Steve Orlando that always gives me a chuckle because of his crazy dialogue. And really, he comes back with something in that book that we haven't seen since his JLA book. And I think that he's just desperately, desperately trying to make it a thing. And it's not a thing, Stevie boy. It's not a thing. But I, again, I'm with Zach here. And I laugh, too, because my son's name, one of my sons, one of my five sons, as far as I know, right? And that's the play, uh, is named Zach and is Zachary, like you. But when he spells it out, he goes with the H. He doesn't go with the K. You actually go with the K. And it, it screwed me up last week when I ended up putting some things up and, you know, saying who was with what and who, I ended up putting it with an H and I felt bad and switched it to a K. Yeah, that's all good. I don't mind. I don't care how Zach, Zachary, Zach, it don't matter It is me. like, well, and that's the thing, like, Tanya actually gets mad when people spell Zach's name with a K, and I don't know why she gets so mad. That's just how she is. She's mad at me right now. She basically told me I was a jerk today like 80 times, which might be true. But it's probably because I'm all upset. I blame DC Comics. But speaking of which, then, that's why we're here. We're going to get into this. And we're going to start with Green Arrow. And it is Green Arrow number four. It's weird because this book was going to be a mini series, And then they ended up extending it. But I think we're still in what I would say miniseries land. We're still doing this initial six issues to try to get a current kind of feel continuity-wise going with Oliver. And I said before we started recording, the thing that, you know, makes me wonder why they did this, the idea of trying to explain, oh, well, we have to explain why Connor and Leanne, I don't know that you really have to anymore. I think that with this Dawn of DC, especially coming out of even back with death metal, the timeline working its way out, things like that, you could have just went with it. I don't think it needs this over explanation. It feels like you're kind of jumping through odd hoops to get the family back together. But I don't mind it because it still is kind of enjoyable. And I like I love Oliver and I love Roy. I'm glad Leanne's here. And we get even other characters this week that I'm like, all right, I can go with this. I can I can dig, you know, the idea of parallax and things. But are you with me? And I'll do the credits in a second. But are you with me that when you come out of Night Terrace going back, I completely forgot Parallax was in the last issue as the cliffhanger. It really like I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah, Parallax. Not many people were really talking about it. And again, Night Terrace kind of puts a halt to everything anyway. But how about you? Yeah, so uh, I didn't really forget that Parallax was in it, but I did forget about the Green Arrow book altogether. So that- Yeah, well, that that's kind of then even worse. <laughs> <laughs> they did do that one backup for Night Terrors with Green Arrow, but I didn't read it, so, you know. Yeah, yeah and that was, that was kind of nonsense anyway. You just ended up having Roy and uh, Black Canary just going and like, oh my god, zombies, and then they start fighting people. It, it really wasn't. Dinah and Roy didn't do much, but they are still hanging. And even in that, they did go to uh, Bell Rev, and they did talk to Count Vertigo. That kind of was in that. That's kind of like the segue back into this, but that was kind of nonsense. But here are the credits here of Quiver Arrow, or <laughs> Hour. I can't even say that. 
Written by Joshua Williamson, art and cover by Sean Azaski. Interior and cover colors by Ramallo Fonji Jr. I don't know why they're going so intricate with letters by Troy Petiri. And so you end up having this whole play where we did have Parallax, and he is seemingly the guy who's doing all this. You end up having Oliver really pissed and really going with that idea of, listen, I know what you're all about, Parallax. I know what happened. Hal has even explained it to me, but you do pull out some pretty cool callbacks of saving the universe. Parallax even says, listen, I ended up bringing you back to life. So stop with your nonsense. Like, was that Hal? Was it me? You keep going and separating things with that, but there's more to it than that. And I am here for a purpose. It's kind of a weird kind of crazy way of going about it, but also showing Oliver killing Parallax, all these things going down. It is like a, it's a wonderful Oliver Queen life. You end up having him even travel around to see what is going on with the other characters. It kind of was a weird way to jump back into it. And again, I just want to get the family together. I just want Oliver out of this weird dimensional multiversal mind screw, time screw even. But it, it just, it's odd. But again, like I said, I like the art and I like kind of the concepts. Uh, again, what do you think? Yeah, so here's the thing. I like the callbacks and the references that he's making. He likes to do a lot of the uh, post-crisis stuff. He's not really messing with the New 52. He's doing Zero Hour. He's doing Hard Traveling Heroes. And he's doing a Kevin Smith's Green Arrow, which I love. That's my favorite Green Arrow run. Quiver, yeah, Smith people run. do love it. Yeah, and yeah, Eric love loves it. it. That's one of Eric's big things, too. So I'll stop you for a second to just ask okay. you then. If you are having this deal where you're talking to Oliver, Parallax is saying, you know, and even Oliver thinking in his head, man, we were hard traveling heroes, we were doing this. Why then is it that much of a leap to just let Connor and Leanne be in the deal? He's talking about times when all of these things were happening as if it's in the timeline now. Like, hey, look at us. We were hard traveling heroes. We did this zero hour. So why are we jumping through hoops just to get Connor and Leanne? Yeah, it's been a while since we had them, but that doesn't mean to me that we have to do this just to get them back in the family. And I'm really starting to worry. It's to keep them away from it again. And you, if they do that, I'm going to lose my mind because I want more Connor. Connor was great with Damien in the Robin series. And I want Leanne to be able to get back in. And as I said, there's other characters. I'll even tell Jade shows up here and is told hey i'm trying to get leanne back so there's some big big things but again like you said you like where and i do too i like the mentions but why then can't we just have it's it's so weird if you're going to remember one thing but then have to jump through hoops to get back to another but it is pretty cool and it's funny you mentioned like most people when i first started reading dc comics and and green arrow was a little shaky at first i love the Jeff Lemire Green Arrow of it is very the New good. 52. That was when I fell in love, really, with that. And on the side, just to let everybody know, a little sneak preview. The other Oliver Queen Green Arrow thing that I really, really liked was the year one story. And me and you are going to have a year one podcast on the Thank Patreon you, coming up. And that was so good. So yeah. I really want it more. And the weird thing is, is Eric, you now saying it. Everybody loves the and I've never read it. I've never gone back really? and read it. I'm yeah, I've oh never had God. just because every time I go to do it, we get busy with other things and there's other things going. So I'll I'll have to go read it because I really do like Oliver a lot. So I'm gonna have to go read that and and I think you, you know see really what's going like on. It. I would think you would really like it. Uh, I really love what he does with if you like uh, Connor Hawk, 
I'm telling you, their relationship in it is so good because it's not like the resentful teen to his dad was like, oh, you haven't been in my life. It's like, hey, son, you want to watch the football game later? Sure, dad. I'd love that. And it's just like, yes. This oh, is you mean he says he wants to watch it? Unlike my my kids? Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, they, you want to actually it? act like a father and son and try. Oh, my goodness bond. gracious. You know, imagine that. I say to my my one son, Rafe, who loves football uh, like I do. Hey, son. You want to watch our favorite team, the Eagles? And then suddenly became a Browns fan out of nowhere. I, I don't even get it. And so he watches them. Though I will tell you, I watch more Browns games now just so I have something to talk to him about because he doesn't, you know, really talk to me. But that's it. See, now I'm jealous. I'm jealous yeah. of Oliver and Connor. Now, the stuff I'd read of Connor was actually when he took over and you ended up having Oliver pretty much decide between dying and cutting off his arm and he's like yeah i'd rather die and i'm like come on I know. Yeah. come on ollie me and, me and eric have argued about this a lot about the idea of like eric's like well he wouldn't have his thing i'm like he'd still be alive and you have a lot of people with you just dark knight returns and use your teeth roy yeah teeth roy ends up you know at points missing limbs and stuff like that and i mean please oliver but in the, again it, it's nice and in a dawn of dc it is always cool to see these callbacks of things and these mentions. It's just the idea that Joshua Williamson, I, I think he has a good voice for Oliver. I think he has a really good voice for Don and Roy. All the characters I really like. It's just this wacky story they're stuck in. It almost feels like, okay, I'm going to stick with this. And I'm gonna, my score is high enough. My second favorite book this week. But all, all in all, I just keep getting to the end of these issues and saying, come on now, let's just get the family back together. And then go from there. I've had people say they don't want more families. Somehow people don't like families now. I don't know why. To me, there is a difference now. Maybe not with the Green Arrow because it is kind of a wacky deal. But the Bat family, that's where it all starts, right? So people are like, there's too many families. Well, the Bat family, you always have too much of the Bat family. Don't let that make you upset because you ended up having the Wally West Flash family because that was awesome. That got kind of taken away from us. Now you have this. We're waiting for when Aquaman comes back. I'm sure it'll be an Aquaman family, but I want that. But really in this, I want this, the family back because of Leanne and Connor that we haven't had enough of. And we haven't really had tons of Roy since, you know, Tom King decided to kill him off in the Heroes of Crisis. So I, I just want them all together for at least one weekend of nicety where they all yeah. are getting along and having fun and whatnot. And they have a family cookout? They they probably would. And no, the, the thing is, they're going to say they have a cookout. Oliver just brings a gallons and gallons of that stupid chili that you know that nobody likes. He is definitely, I, he reminds me of my one past roommate, Herb, that I talk about sometimes. This guy would make spaghetti. I, you can make spaghetti, right? You, you yeah. a world-class chef? Probably not. No. I don't know. I'm no. not either. I can make spaghetti. My wife made it. But he would make the spaghetti and take it into work. And I'm talking like this is just boil pasta and throw ragu sauce in. Stir it up and take it to work. And, and kept saying to me, oh, man, everybody at work, they keep asking me for my spaghetti. They, I'm like, just being nice. It's just noodles and ragu. You're not doing anything. I think that's with well, or with with Ollie. He ends up where he makes that stupid chili. Nobody likes it, but they're too embarrassed to say anything about it. 
they'd rather you know yes, let's things. piss off the billionaire paying for all our shit yeah really it really and, and, and at points remember he was even paying the bill for the justice league for a while exactly. so i mean serious that was their lunch plan on the watchtower was the chili he's like hey have some more chili like jesus christ hey oliver the next time you make chili please up the toilet paper ration by like 18 times did you give me diarrhea it's also he, he at times he says how spicy it is that's not what you bring to the cookout come on ollie mm-hmm. I don't want Ollie back now. He's going to have this stupid chili. But yeah, so he ends up, in, and again, Parallax is basically saying, you think I'm bad, but I'm still part of how, and I did this and I did that. Why am I bad? And by the way, you made the deal with me. That's the most important thing in there. Yeah, the older version of you made a deal with yeah. me. And I get this too, and I do like this. This is a Parallax who is out of time a little bit out of his mind a bit because he actually is a little confused. He says, I can't keep, I think it's the past, you know, the future older you that did the deal that might be here, but you might do it then because Oliver just wants to know what's going on. I, I do too. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I think it's this, but it, it almost plays off that it's just like piss Oliver off. Like, come on now, you got to tell me. He says, I want my family back, but we keep getting these hints of, you know, the future older Ollie has made a deal with Parallax now. And Parallax said, I, I left a little temporal energy with them that if the family gets back together, you guys end up getting separated again because you end up killing everybody. It's like that big, like, you know, ambiguous type. You cause all the problems. You destroy everything. And so your future self made the deal with the devil. The monkey paw being that you're not ever going to be able to have your family together. And so he says, I want my family. I want them back. The worst here is it's 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 a wonderful life. And so what you think Parallax is going to do is say, "Okay, I'm going to show you your family. And it's not anything. It's now that they end up seeing, which is odd to me, because who knows what would go on, even though, again, Parallax is out of time type deal. But you would expect at this point where you're just going to have them there having a barbecue, laughing it up. And it would be like, listen, the family can be together as long as you're not there, Oliver. You're the one who really is the key of not being around once you get involved. things. But it actually isn't the greatest of things to see. To me, it makes me think Oliver wants to get back still. You know what I mean? It's not like it's like, oh, they're fine. Maybe this is best for me. And oh, woe is me. I'll take the, you know, I'll bite the bullet and I'll be the one who just sits here for eternity. But instead, you end up going to the brick house. I like, which is a bar yeah. that's run by Brick, who I like yeah. Brick as well. Yeah, Brick really is one cool. of those characters that, to me, like he kind of goes a little back and forth. Like he's not as bad a bad guy as some of the real bad guys. I, I like him, but he's there and he is big. When he goes down, because Roy's there, Roy and Dinah show up, and basically there's the record scratch because this is a bad guy's bar, you know. And and all of a sudden they see them, and it doesn't take much for them to just like, hey. You jerks, I like Dr. Psycho. There's some weird characters here, right, where they're ready to fight. They're all going to fight them. And you end up having Dinah and Roy like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have come here, but wait for it. The lights go out. Everybody gets their ass kicked. And Jade shows up. Jade's there. Yeah, and I'm like, holy crap, that's awesome. That is really cool. And then when she goes after Dinah and Roy, Roy says, hold it, Canary, just wait. And Jade says, listen, what the hell's going on here? Why are you here? Why are you causing problems? Why am I you know, doing this? And Roy says, wait a minute. I need you to tell me where Amanda Waller is. 
I need to. And that you get the idea. This is why Roy came here. He wants that yeah. information. Well, they I mean, ended up smart. Yeah. Yeah. And he knew Jade would be there. And there's a little more info. And this is the best part of the book. When Jade says, why would I ever try to find and help you find that witch? I hate her. And he says, she knows where Ollie and Connor are and our daughter. And yeah. that is huge. And she yep. is like, holy crap. And that's a really, really good moment. Again, though, that pulls some of the family together again, which I really do like. And I want to see what is going on with Roy and Jade. And I really want more of Roy. That desperately want more Roy. Like, if you like Dinah, at least she has her Birds of Prey book now. Yeah. You know, you end up where Roy just has kind of been, you know, kind of, he was in the uh, Infinite Frontier for yeah, a while. he was a Black Lantern. Black like, Lantern. And, like, everything keeps getting, like, pushed aside or reset with him. But this is classic, and this is what I want. And I think that this is what a lot of people would end up hearing. Oh, my God, Jade and... Roy back together, they have Leanne. I think that would get a lot of people, not tons. I'm not saying that everybody would come, but you're getting things that people have been bitching about since their complaints of the new 52. You're bringing back past continuity, past relationships, and past characters that I really, really like. And then we go to the future for the Legion of Superheroes, and like always, (laughs) that ends up making me, you know, slam the brakes on with this Uh. whole deal with Brainiac vibe. And he's like, you can't have the time travel. You can't do that. You don't really do anything in this scene. You're just there for Leanne to freak out, yell and scream, and Connor to tell her to, be, you know, hey, calm down. We'll figure it out. And you do then have the play where, and, and again, now you have Brainiac say, hey, Oliver dies a hero protecting his family. But what does that mean? Because, you know, we can't tell Leanne once out. You tell me what happened. Tell me if I'm here. Oh, And they're like, we can't do that. That will ruin the timeline. We're not allowed to do that. And when you end up having Brain X as Oliver Queen dies, a hero protecting his family. When we get to the end, I'm like, I think that he's wink winking because that could be future Oliver. We could end up resetting time. It's a weird play. But also if he ended up staying in that temporal zone, never to come out and dies alone, that is dying to protect his family as well. So there are layers to it. But I just don't. It's just me. I the Legion of Superheroes. They all they always annoy me for some reason. I don't want to get people yeah. mad. Well, it's also the Bendis Legion, so that made me more and, mad. Yeah, that might be the deal. And when you go, they're okay. They don't really yeah. do anything, and they're kind of funny. And it doesn't really last that long. And I'm still kind of like rolling my eyes. Why did we do that? But you're playing the timeline, time travel, all this stuff, and they popped in there. So you have that parallax still. Going around with Oliver shows what, you know, Star City, City's on fire. This is Star City, and it's starting to resemble a bit of what turned how the parallax, the whole deal with Post City, all the things being destroyed. You know how that went bad. And I think yep. there is that play as well of like, if Oliver decided to do something like maybe he becomes his own version, it's a weird play of what could have caused this. But again, it's a superhero universe. And you know that there's always that weird, like, you know, hey, you caused this destruction, but then the real story might not be quite that you want to know. But he ends up saying, you know, what year is this? Would have been nice, right? Yeah. And Parallax says, what does it matter? Should have possibly said, listen, I'm, I'm a little wacky. I really don't know. It's the future. I don't know. What Oliver should ask is, 
well, what led to this and how can we avert it? Is there any way to avert it? Because they're almost playing like they can't, that they would never be able to avert it. But when you 20 questions. Yeah, it should have. It would be funny. Like, I mean, you could, why not just keep asking? Parallax hasn't said like you can only ask. But if you think about it and say, okay, bringing the family together is what caused this. And then you start to wonder, like, what would do that? Would it be that one of the family members, Connor, he ends up getting kidnapped They or they blow up? Like, it seems like the idea of just the family together is obviously causing it. And I, I wonder what it is. And I hope that we do eventually find out. I'm afraid that they're just going to avert this anyway and we'll never find out. But I, I think it's going to be something like, oh, they're going to get back together and they're going to go against Parallax. Parallax gets pissed and then he destroys like Star something City. Like that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's going to be one of those where... In my mind, by the end, you can say, well, if the family didn't get together, it'd be like me and you deciding that we're going to have lunch. You know, I'm going to go down to the Carolinas. We're going to end up having some barbecue. Oh, yeah, short sugars. And when we go to do that, all of a sudden, you know, something blows up. It's not because me and you went to have barbecue. I don't know, I don't know. Maybe it was. Might be. The actual explosion will be afterwards. After it hits my, it hits my tummy. In the bathroom. I have some problems there, especially if anybody's putting any garlic in that, which they do a lot. Did you have Ollie's chili? Yeah, yeah, really. And Ollie's chili would go right through me, and legitimately would. I was actually going to say, me and you meet and have some sushi, because I had some sushi oh, from no. the Publix when I was down in South Carolina for my son's Marines deal, and it was some of the best. The best supermarket sushi I ever had. It was pretty yeah, we good. Had good sushi at Publix, yeah. Yeah, it was really good. And you're, you know, you're kind of near some water. It's when you're like in <laughs> Pittsburgh. When you're in Pittsburgh and you get, you know, sushi, then there's problems. Ask Stork. He has problems with that. But yeah, so they end up, Ollie says, and I don't know where he gets this. <laughs> it is funny. It's like, okay, I just saw that Star City is on fire. Somehow the family getting back together does it. All right, let's fight. And he said, you're yeah. going to tell me what's going on, and what we're going to do is have a fist fight. <laughs> and, like, yeah, and I, I love Ollie's attitude. It's just his cockiness. He's like, look, either you're Hal Jordan or you're Parallax. I don't know, I can kick both your asses all the way to Sunday and then Sunday. Yeah, and, and then another Sunday. He's like, let's yeah. go. I like Parallax. It's like, first off, he has that big giant cape. He's not ready for a real fist fight. So he does have to morph into old man Hal, even takes his coat off then. But He's Marty McFly. This whole thing, just imagine this. This is the future of Star City. This is the future of probably millions of people, their death and all this. And all it takes for Parallax, because Parallax could just say, screw you and leave. There's no real reason. Oliver goes, what are you, chicken? And yeah, that does it. <laughs> yeah. he's, like, he's like, I hope there's enough howling yet to let me goad you into attacking me. Yeah. I love that he's, he Marty McFly's it. He goes, what are you, chicken? Yeah, and everything is like, out the window. Excuse me? You really think I'm going to sink down to that? He's like, what are you, chicken? And he's like, all right. That's yeah, he's like, man. I thought you were the guy without fear. I mean, if you were hell, you'd probably fight me. And, you know, Parallax, you think you're badass. It's like such a lowbrow type of deal to really go with the idea that. But again, Parallax made this weird deal with old future Ollie. But what does Parallax really care? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. 
Like, what does he get out of this? Yeah, and even this parallax is kind of wonky with the whole multi. It's hard yeah, to even put your very thumb handy, on. Like, oh, you're a multiversal parallax. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, and, and the weird play is the parallax that was in our universe after was the convergence parallax. What was from? That was my first thought. I thought I was like, is this convergent? But no, it's and not it's multiversal. Still, it's weird. It may end up being that, but in a weird way. I just think that what again, these are some of the corner cuttings that kind of get annoying like i don't think you're going to be able to put a pin on okay it's that but it should have been the convergence one he ended it up flying out in the space he went to find but who knows how things went yeah he disappeared into the 31st century yeah he just yeah. went and did his deal and now he's making deals with oliver from the future i don't know but they start you know start hauling each other's ass they start beating the crap out of each other i do like at one point because it is Mono mono, no arrows. You put down the ring, and then right away, it is true. You end up where Oliver gets all bullseye on him, where everything could be a weapon. A he throws a fork, and that fork embeds into his into his cheek. It's disgusting. It's there, and he's like, "Why would Parallax then say? I thought you said no arrows. It's obviously not an arrow. I wish he said no weapons, but they end up just they, they beat the crap out of each other, and Oliver's not going to stop." This is for his family. This is all that. And then the big play even before was, hey, me and Hal, we'd always, you know, have that joke of which who wears green better, that sort of thing. And you end up having, you know, that I wear you stole my color. I had the green head, but and then basically just parallax goes full out enough. And that it just ends it to end it then. I mean, yeah. this whole fight is kind of weird. There's a there's a bit of padding in this, but I do like. I do like the, the callbacks. I do like the concepts. But then you end up having, all right, because you have Oliver say, just like I thought, you know, how Jordan not only could Hal throw a punch, but he knew how to take one and he would never, ever cheat. But it is, I mean, cheating, he ends up turning into parallax fully again. Yeah, and, and it, it just ended the fight. It wasn't like he ended up getting the ring and making some crazy thing and fully just, he does, but. The fight was over anyway. There's not really anything to go with. But then he says, you want the truth. It basically becomes, you know, Jack Nicholson. You want the truth. You can't handle the truth. And says, fine, there you go. Enjoy, old friend. And then disappears. And then Oliver's just like, oh, my God. And I, I was thinking, like, is that the truth? Like, <laughs> he didn't tell him anything. And he kind of, like, goes down and starts talking to himself and says, stranded alone again. And yeah, and you have from off panel, you ain't alone, kid, but you should be. It's old Oliver. This is where Parallax in the meantime took him to his old self that made the deal. It looks like you'll end up. I I just think it's going to end up now. How do you stop this or whatnot? Maybe killing old man Oliver because he's the one that has this weird temporal glitch that's there, but seemingly going throughout all of time just in case. But the idea I think will be, hey. What happened? This happened. We won't do that again. Okay. Or is he just going to call old man Oliver chicken? Have another fight, maybe. But I don't know. I saw a preview on Twitter where it's just uh, Oliver and old man Ollie running from some Mad Max Fury people in the next issue. So they did very much like an old man Hawkeye kind of thing. Yeah. That's, you know. It reminds me of Oblivion Song where it is like Oliver just popping in and here is that guy who's like the hardened guy. We got to get moving and things like that. So we'll, we'll see. But it makes sense to me that all of a sudden he'll say, we're in danger. Let's get going. 
Also, you could play the idea that with that temporal thing and the family not being together, that you could cause a uh, a paradox with the two Olivers together, and maybe that just like I don't know. But overall, the art was good, and yeah. I, I I'm interested in it, and it's working towards maybe something that I really really want, so I could stick with that. It's yeah. it's still wonky. But yeah. I'll give Josh Joshua Williamson. Sometimes he gets a little crazy. Things don't make sense or whatever. But even with that, even with a concept that's really odd, wonk, he's moving forward with it in a way that at least at the end of the at the end of the issue, I sit there and say, "Okay, well, we have to stop this." And I know that some of the things get brushed aside, but I'm still down with it. What about you? Yeah. So uh, I'm still. Interested in the series. I had thought about not picking up this issue, but since you asked me to review it, I did. And I'm still happy I did. I still am. Uh, I'm enjoying it. There are definitely some things that I would like to be tightened up. Like, I definitely want to know where we're going with this. I mean, I know eventually we're going to avert it or fix it somehow. But right now, there's not really a real, like, clear focus on the series for me. At least not clear enough for me, anyway. That's that's the problem, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's like, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of nice things that happen, a lot of cool references and callbacks, and if you're a Green Arrow fan, you will like this. But, like, in terms of doing new story stuff, that's where it's starting to get a little bit murky, and I wish you would focus a little bit more on that rather than trying to do all these callbacks and references. So, I would have given it a 6.8 originally, but talking to you, I'm going to give it a 7.5. I did actually enjoy this. This is my second favorite book of this week. So. Yeah, it's my second favorite. I'm going 7. Uh, but even then, like you said, I, I just want to get to... Yeah, I, I actually just want to get to the point where I know what the future of a Green Arrow book will be. Like, just say yeah. we end this and for some reason, Connor is like, well, listen, I understand I can't be around you guys. I'm going to go off with Damien. Or we just have, like we said, everybody's together. That future will deal with it. Then we'll avert it, whatever. I just want to be able to if somebody says to me and this is the big thing. Hey, Jim, I hear about this done at D.C. I like Green Arrow. What's the book about? Right now, I don't know that I'd be able to really explain it to somebody, especially explain it to convince them that they can jump on. It's multiversal bullshit. And it's dealing with stuff from Dark Crisis. It's dealing from stuff from the New 52, from before. It's all that all rolled up into one, and it's not really a user-friendly, new user-friendly book. And I wanted to get to that because that's what I think the Dawn of DC should be. And then when I imagine just having a book where Connor and Oliver are there jumping out of a helicopter to go and take out some ninja outpost deal where they're going to go find Jade because she's doing something with Leanne. I'm like, that sounds awesome. That's what I want. I want the introduction, reintroduction of the family, everything like that. And at this point, we're not there. But I do think that because, and I think I mentioned it before, the idea of this was going to be that six issue mini. And I still think we're in that mode where they were saying to him, Hey, it almost feels like, remember when we had Wally and we ended up having that flash forward book where they wanted to try mm-hmm. to redeem Wally, try to get him back. This is That's what this feels like. It feels like yep. you're trying to do this. A lot of explanation. And when it's done, I'll tell you, I think that where people listening, me and you, hey, we read that. Might not have been the greatest thing, but hey, we know what's going on. We read it. But now everybody can join us. And if there's questions, they could ask us. We'll say, oh. That was bullshit. Don't worry about <laughs> that. Oliver called Parallax Chicken. Don't don't worry about the Doomsday Donkey Punch. It's, it's it's a shame because Eric's big things are that how could Oliver survive when you ended up having Doomsday just destroy him? That seems to be kind, not really explained, but you're doing something. And his other thing, and he's been saying it for so long, even before Leanne kind of came back or whatever, 
was when is Roy and Jade going to kind of notice and then, hey, what happened to your arm? Well, hey, it's bad. Like things like he was so into what might happen and we get that here. But again, it's just like in and out. And I want to get more of that. And the only way we're going to get more is if we go forward and get a proper Green Arrow title, which I hope we do. But yeah, yep. seven, seven, five for you. Now we go to the next and last issue of the podcast. And it's a doozy. This yeah. one's a weird one. And I, I'll tell you right now, just my whole background with Steve Orlando. I don't like his writing very much. It's his dialogue. And, and him at Marvel, I haven't been reading the, the whole uh, Spider-Man 2099 stuff because it's not really a character that I'm interested in anyway. But at DC, I ended up defending him at points on his Wonder Woman run because he got screwed over by editorial and actually talked to me about it. But when we used to do his Justice League of America, and that really ties into this issue of Donna Troy, Tale of the Titans, when we would review it, we actually had a guy, Hussein, who ended up going to a convention and he talked to Steve Orlando and said, hey, I'm friends with Jim from Weird Science. And Steve Orlando specifically said, I have to pour a glass of wine before I read Jim's reviews on my book <laughs> because I would end up going nuts and just, and they were, but he said he appreciated the amount of effort that, you know, the review and I pointed out things that I didn't like, whatever. And then I started talking to him, you know, on Twitter, on DMs. He ended up talking to me and the guy is a sweetheart. He is the yeah, nicest guy. He is so nice. He really can it's one of those things when people tell me, well, how can you give a bad score? That person really cares. You have to separate that. I mean, yeah. I could care about, you know, drawing something. I can't draw for shit. It doesn't, I'm bad. Steve Orlando, he really does love comics. He loves Silver Age stuff, especially. He really likes that vibe. It's just that his dialogue is so over the top, crazy at points. And it's just not. It's not my thing, but I really yeah. do like him. I just wanted to point out when I start yelling about things, I do think <laughs> that Steve Orlando is a great guy. Yeah, he is nice. Like I said, he was really nice when I met him. I got him yeah. signed the uh, Midnighter collection. And that so was he great. Was really nice. mm-hmm. His Midnighter Apollo, that miniseries was yeah. great, great. Me and Eric love that. But yeah. some of the things are wonky, including this one. This is Tales of the Titans number three. It's a Donna Troy book. Donna Troy, The Truth Cuts Deep. Steve Orlando writing. You have art by Kath Lobo and then also Bob Quinn on a couple pages. I'll give a shout out to Kath Lobo. Don't really know the art, but it has like a Darwin Cook-like look at some points. Mm -hmm. And I actually do like it in a story that I thought was going to be a flashback to an origin, but yet wasn't. But actually, I do uh, like... There's a little bit of flashback. A little, not, not yeah, much. A little. I, I thought that that was what these all were about. Not really. Yeah. But you end up having other things that I wanted to know about also. But you also have colors by Adriana Lucas. Good colors. Probably yeah. kick-ass on letters. I'll tell you that. Ooh, mm-hmm. Those letters. But you end up where this is a big Markovia issue. You're dealing yeah. big on Markovia. You're, you're dealing big with a new Baron Bedlam who's Aster DeLam, which is Frederick's son. You get a weird play with that. I don't know why we needed that. And then he just gets captured anyway. But the big play in my mind is if you bring up these things, and Baron Bedlam, a big Batman Incorporated villain, Batman and the Outsiders, all that stuff, more Batman and the Outsiders. And it really went against Geoforce, who's from Markovia. Like, Geoforce is the deal here, even when they say, and, and Steve Orlando gives a little wink-wink in this, Frederick DeLam, the original, his dad, Baron Bedlam, 
the big thing was he got the process that Geoforce got as well. He has that Geoforce power set, and this kid has it as well. But you never mention Geoforce. And at this moment, what's going on with Geoforce? He ended up killing Rachel Ghoul yeah. and then nothing else. We never heard anything about it since then. And I thought maybe, not that it's Steve Orlando's deal. I believe that was even Joshua Williamson when he was doing that stuff. Yeah, that's what I'm but saying. I, I thought that maybe Steve Orlando would get a hold of something that's like, man, being in Markovia reminds me of that Geoforce, right? Boy, yeah. I hope that he's okay now that he's in Bell Rev or he's here or he's there. I just wanted a mention of him. Maybe give us a little status quo of him. It's not anything to do with this issue, well, but I still wanted that. And we, we don't get that. We don't get that yeah. at all. Well, I was going to ask, when did Leviathan lose control of Markovia? Because they were in charge for a little bit, right, during Checkmate or whatever by Bendis? Did, did that ever wrap up? I guess just because Leviathan just got completely destroyed and whatnot. Because you even have mentioned here, because Steve Orlando, when he was doing the Justice League of America, when that ended, it was, it was not a good book. When it ended, <laughs> you ended up having what was going to be. It was set up. Steve Orlando has told me that they said that he was going to be able to have the Justice Foundation book. They never did it then. The book was going to be, and again, people rolled their eyes, even though this was maybe, what, like 2019, 2018, somewhere back then. The idea that it was going to be that justice league led by vixen that was going to go around and instead of punching people and doing that they were going to end up desalinating water and teaching kids to read i think that eventually because me and eric laughed i'm like i don't know who's reading that book mm-hmm. like oh my god you know what we're gonna fight this week literacy illiteracy like the illiteracy. Nonsense, right? yeah illiterate maybe literacy the way i read this dialogue but yeah the whole play is is that is that what people want but you never had know. that. So you start out this where it is Vixen. And, well, you really start out with what is the flash. <laughs> There's a one-page yeah, flashback. It shows what he's using, which is the Donna Troy, you know, her uh, family died in the house fire. And the and fire. Different. Yep. Yeah, and Diana adopted her and, you know, trained her and gave her the purple ray, whatever, you know, give her her powers. And that's what we get, And which I do appreciate that. But, you know. She has a very confusing history. There's been times where, like, she's like the, what was it, the evil copy of Diana made from the yeah. gods or whatever? She was the whole, you know, actual clay, beside, you know, that whole play. And they go with that she, this is the fire. I actually, in my mind, I assume that we were always doing that anyway, but it is nice now, to That's what see I was it. hoping. This is my favorite origin, so. I even, at one point, I did that, that Tales of the Titans back in the day with had her origin. In a uh, Patreon show that I did And oh, I really okay. liked it I really liked that issue So you end up seeing that That sets it up And then you just go forward and You really get real heavy With this taking pictures deal too And that's again That's something from her past We're going to get that That's you know A Teen Titans deal as well So she's there And she's taking pictures of Vixen Even the beginning Just weird dialogue The dialogue is so odd sometimes About what's happening And Steve Orlando does even say And this is where it is Oh man, we're still here But you're an outlaw With that whole thing with the Axe program And it's good that it ties into what Tom King's doing Yeah, and then says So what, Axe can ban us But I've still got all the favorites The sword, the shield, the lasso And the one that really should be The camera I'm like, what is going on here? It's such weird dialogue. But she is going to take, it's almost like the camera becomes the lasso of truth. The camera can't lie. I'm going to take pictures. I'm going to end up showing everybody 
that all the atrocities with this camera and go to Markovia. No, I, I'm like, especially in the time of AI and deep fakes, I'm like, I don't know about this, but she's going to go. She's going to snap them pictures and she wants to know, hey, Vixen, can you end up helping? I got to go take down this barren bedlam. And she's like, well, I might be able to, but I can't right now. There's mention of the Nazis that Baron Bedlam was big on. But the whole play is that you're going to have to go. And even Donna's like, I'm going to go and I'm going to I'm going to make this right. I'm going to fly off. And then off she goes. And then you have like, again, Steve Orlando seemingly knows, you know, at least some things and says, oh, I didn't see your, you know, flying horse double park. What are you going to do? And she says, hey, I got a ride. And then she's just jumping out of a plane. <laughs> there are some yeah. weird progressions here. Do you know who the pilot is? Uh, the pilot is actually Fury from before. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah it, I had to look that up. I was like, who the hell is this woman? Because when they said Helena, I was like, that's not Huntress. And it's like, oh, she fought Nazis. And I was like, I was just like, I'm so confused right now. So I had to and Google it. Was, it. And, and this Helena, Helena Cosmatos, is Fury. She's an Amazon yeah. that at one point was even taking the place of the Golden Age Apollo. They end up, yep. there, there's a long running, but her big thing was she's Italian, the fascist, and then her brother joined up with the Nazis, and she's really against Nazis. I think yeah. that if you want to get anybody to ride you anywhere, if there's Nazis involved, call this Helena. She's in. She does it. And I, it's kind of a fun little play. And again, this is just a side little wink, wink. Hey, this character, but it makes sense. It's okay. Yeah, it so yeah. she she goes down. This is where again the progression. Where I like that she goes to the Markovian border. It's Donna Troy. She's got power. She just starts sprinting, and then the next page she's just ripping tanks apart. And I kind of wanted something in between, and she's yeah. just ripping tanks and then grabbing people out of holes and cages, and then ta- uh, this is the yeah, best. Then she, she just takes pictures as she beats them up. I swear to God. That what she's doing here, she destroys the tank, right? Everything's on fire. People are knocked out. She tells these kids, they look like kids. Okay, hi, I'm Donna. Anyone want to go home? And they're like, yeah. And she goes, okay, well, run past that burning tank really fast. I want to take your picture. Like she's doing like real time Photoshop. The wolves are going to get you. Run into there. I'm going to take your picture because I don't really care if you get home, but I need the evidence that shit's gone wrong. It's weird the way she takes these pictures. She should have taken the pictures first of yeah, the military and then go and with help the kids. And yeah. Yes, exactly. These pictures are like, it looks like they're just doing random sprints. <laughs> just running. And she's just letting them go. And then the next deal, and, and you have her going through. Gregor grad. Oh, my God, I lassoed a tank. Oh, you kids run, snap. <laughs> yeah. Why are you Jeez. taking the pictures afterwards? It's so weird. And she keeps doing this. You can take the pictures when you're doing the reconnaissance. Like, come on. You have to show the atrocity, not them running away from it. I'm I'm saying she goes to the U.N. now and says, here are the pictures. Look. And the U.N.'s like, looks like they're okay. They're they're running. Yeah. A lot of kids running around in the woods at night. What's 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 up with that? Yeah. She's like, oh, my God. The cage was before. Jimmy Olsen is like grinding his teeth. As he sees these pictures, because they're bad. So we got we got pictures of you going into a foreign country and wrecking shit. Yeah, yeah, and, and kids running. It's like she has this weird idea that these kids running pictures are going to be all the rage. So she's doing that. She ends up getting hit by a flamethrower. Her camera's there. You pointed it out yeah. to me. Like her camera's fine there. 
But even the progression is she's there. She's looking at, hey, what do these pictures look like? A guy comes up and says, outsiders deserve nothing less than this because she says disgusting. And then you just have these weird dialogue again. Girl of Wonder, that's a peace rifle, not like Earth's core power, just like the Barons. How's it feel? I think Donna's like, what's going on? I know that they're talking a different language. Like, yeah, what's happening here? Because I don't get what you just said. Please back up. Peaceful rifle? What? And then she's just like, I feel. And she says, weak. And then they just go back and forth. And this is the best, too. I love this guy because now the guy is an idiot. He says, talk as you like, Americans, the whatever he says. All you've got is a rope, a shield, and your mouth. And then she says, then I'm overprepared. And then the guy says, to hell with your threats. I mean, he's threatening her uh, in my mind. And then she ends up blocking, destroying guns. Oh, my God, the rifles. I knew we should have brought a tank <laughs> What happened? I don't think you want to bring a tank. She lasted the last one. And I, and then she yells, the truth hurts. There's a lot of one-liners that don't make any sense. Then the guys yell, smoke the woman. She ends up attacking with the shield. And at the end, she then calls she calls for a Discordia who comes and tramples the hell out of guys. Like, what's yep. happening? It's kind nobody of fun, Nobody expects though. the Pegasus to show up. And it's like... Yeah, nobody does. Really? Like, I, he's... Discordia's, like, pissed off still that didn't just go on Discordia, had to get Helena's deal. But yeah, he shows up, whistles, and then that's it. Okay, I did that. She's not taking pictures of that, like her tying up, you know, foreign military. Then she runs off to take pictures, though, of kids down in a cage. She rips them off and says, I'm on the way to go take down the Baron and his castle. These kids yell, the castle, but it's guarded by us. She dun, says, dun, dun. what? And then the big play is human shield. But it just looks like people are like working menial jobs around there. She's not there to go and blow up the castle in one fell swoop. She's there to break in probably and get the Baron. So I don't know that a random two guys holding a pipe and a couple of other guys sweeping up some leaves and dirt really is a human shield. But they say that. Then she's like, oh, no, she has her camera out again. She's taking pictures. And then all of a sudden, there's a huge explosion, not really played out, but it must be, you know, Baron Bedlam shooting his, you know, fire hands that he says later. But it's not really played out. And her camera's destroyed. And then he's like, oh, but at the end, it doesn't matter because she will reveal later that, that the pictures went to the Amazonian cloud. Yeah, so maybe maybe that's a little wink wink. I was, I was gonna say that's it's the so ridiculous, apple. right? And it's so really, it's just a joke. But you have the but again, the pictures are a lot of kids running. It's like oh, I, I could just imagine where I wish you did have Baron Bedlam on trial. I'm like, what do you think of this picture? He's like, oh, that is when we do the Baron Bedlam fitness test. They are <laughs> running the shuttle run, and they're like, oh, he got us. Let him go. We need. Hey, it's good that you get the kids out and about. He's like, yes, I, I always say that anybody in Markovia, only 30 minutes on devices a day. <laughs> He's a hero now. But yeah, she ends up facing this new Baron Bedlam who reveals that, oh my God, again, throwing names out there that are Estiel, Helga Chase, the scientist that gave his father the geoforce powers, ended up giving them to him. He's something better, he says. He's got it all going on. His dad's a piece of crap. I'm going to end up being better 
He does end up at one point squeezing down a shield and somehow it turns into a giant lava explosion. And then he says, anything else you want me to break? She shows the bracers and he's like, all right. You're already wearing ch- and they, they just start fighting and they just randomly fight. I'm like, this is a wacky issue. Real yeah. wacky. Uh, so again, we're not even done, but at this point, what are we getting really about Donna Troy that we needed to know to go forward in any sort of Titans book? Because this is kind of that loose space deal because we did have even a editor's note in Tom Taylor's Titans to see the next issue. That's the Beast Boy. So these are somewhat important setting up a, a continuity, setting up a status quo. We're really just getting Donna Troy wrecking house in Markovia and fighting well, a new Baron the Bedlam. Raven like, issue? The Raven issue was just her going against freaking another person. I mean, I know why we have these. They are they're just cash grabs. Yeah, that's... I I had you'll you'll laugh at me when I give my score at the end because I'm telling you. I chuckled through it. That's the one thing Steve Orlando does. He makes me giggle because things are so outrageously ridiculous. I'm not saying it's good, but at least I think that he, like, again, where people are saying, hey, he tried. He tried. No, I'm saying that he made me laugh, and I didn't laugh a lot at books this week. Whether I'm laughing with it or at it, I was having some goofy fun. It took me a while to get through it, though. But this big play of this Baron Bedlam, a new Baron Bedlam has no connection to Donna Troy, really. This whole play, like, do something where it has some sort of connection, but she ends up where, you know, I'm going to take you down, I'm going to kill you. Hey, you ended up, you don't have your pictures. No, they're in the cloud. And then just throws Baron Bedlam into the bay, which I do like where he's, like, laying there like he's, like, having a good old time, like he's <laughs> having me in the pool. And then he goes, she goes to free everybody from the castle. At one point, there's like a person tied on weird stuff. And it looks like the human shield people, the prisoners, they took it to the guards. They ended up turning it on them. You end up meeting this girl like, hey, this is pretty cool. My name's Donna. What's up with you? I'm Svetita. It means bright. And then says, I don't know. There's some weird people in Markovia that kind of liked it the way the Baron was doing it. I think they might fight back. And then you end up, no. They'll not just fight us. They'll have to fight all of us. And then the girl like gives a salute or maybe the, the, the sun is in her eyes. And then <laughs> soon after, it, it, this is my uh, another favorite here. They just went through all of that, right? The, the freedom, the, the Justice Foundation now shows up. Like, all the yeah. work's done, Vixen, please. And you do get, and all this is to get a shout out to all of the characters that Steve Orlando had in his Justice League. Of America, including, you know, Gregorio there, you have Strange Visitor, you end up having Aztec, some characters that I really did like back in the day. It's just wacky stories. And I do like that he is right with this. You you can't let Baron Bedlam touch the ground or he's going to end up having some, you know, issues with his powers. So they have him in a ball and then they go with the whole Nazi deal. (laughs) Now, all of a sudden, the pictures that we see, they end up being the ones that we said you should have been taking, though she didn't seem to be. Also, they're like, and look at this alleyway of barbed wire. All right, it looks crazy. You're in trouble. And then they're they're just pulling down Baron Bedlam's statue like it's Saddam Hussein. Something like that. it gets wacky at the end. Yeah. He's there. I love too where he's at the Hague facing war crime deals, but he's in that bubble just floating in the air like a goofball. 
We'd better watch out because it might be one of them bubbles and flash, and he's going to zip off into the space yeah. without any explanation or turn inside out. But yeah, yeah, I'm telling you. I don't think anybody would miss him. No, I'm like, there's insight, there's these things. And where I do like it too is after all this, it's like, oh my God, I love, hey, did you get those pictures of all of the atrocities? I certainly did, and it was fun. Hey, let's have a sandwich and laugh. <laughs> they're there laugh. Like, what happened in this deal? And yeah. so overall, the one thing, though, that will give my score as well, not the cliffhanger is pretty interesting, but yeah. at that point, you end kind of the story. Then we have an epilogue. But the story legitimately can't say this with every story, not even this week. It did have a beginning. It had a middle and it had an end. It was a bullshit end, but it ended. It had a one shot deal that actually ended with Baron Bedlam being arrested and he is now facing war crime trial nonsense so all of it is a lot of wackiness but it did end up having a beginning middle end that seems like and that's the that's a given but not anymore but then we have an epilogue where she's talking to nightwing and the, the weird play is it's like weird dialogue of back and forth of you know what this is and how you have it easier but you're better oh you're great no you're great no you're great all right i'm wonder girl and she's like punching into the air i'm like I don't even know what they said to each other. They no, just started babbling shit. And then you do have what is the best, though. This actually, of all the things in this, you do have an ending where somebody is sending letters to Donna. I don't know why she hasn't been opening them before. The guy ends up saying that, hey, and I'll give the guy credit, too. He hand wrote it. He didn't just, you know, type it up or do like AI, like chat GPT. I am Donna's dad. Please write a you know note that says that I'm sorry that I haven't seen her. It ends up looking like she might be able to find her actual father, and that is something that might turn into something cool in the Titans book. Maybe, if hopefully. you end up having, if this is that connection, you're setting things up, maybe that sets up something that you can do. Though I worry because that would be something else that Tom Taylor can throw in the pile of things that he doesn't get to. But we'll see. We'll see. Or maybe we'll just have Tales 2 and Steve Orlando will be back and turns out we're going to get a Donna Troy miniseries. Yeah, Donna Troy by and you have five issues of her just doing wacky crap and then at the end we'll find out who the dad is. But even as a picture looks legit. Eventually her son's going to show up. You know, he just got brought back. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm I'm looking to in the that deal. Was what this issue should have been like she got reunited with him and she he's like why'd you give me up? And he's like she's like it's a long story. I didn't give you up. You died. That would be great. She's like listen, it, it involved parallax or something. I mean, blame parallax for everything with time distortion and things. But I do like and I I will say that that picture of the family that's in the letter, it actually looks to me like it's almost like Joelle Jones art in that just that one picture. It looks like yeah. that face and stuff looks like that to me. I, I I like that. I like the ending. Beginning, middle, end, but what would you give this? Yeah, so originally I was just going to give it like a five because I thought, it, I mean, there's nothing bad about it, but I didn't really get a lot of enjoyment out of it. But talking to you about it, having a little bit of fun, shooting the craps, I'll give it a 5.5. I'm a six. I'm, okay. I'm a, and, and to me, that's kind of a solid six for something as wacky as this. But I can appreciate it again. It's a one shot. Yeah. And here's the deal. It's, it's funny to say this. But you don't have to read this. If you're no. listening and you want to know, hey, shit, if you have the Ultra, even if you want to wait six months to when it hits the regular just app, whatever, eh, read it. It's not going to end up 
doing anything this way or that way. If you do end up chasing down the story later with the dad, that'll be reintroduced anyway. So you don't. But reading it compared to some of the big books this week that you're you have to read, must reads. I hear from others. I actually had more fun with this than some of the others. So. Well, I didn't mind it. Steve much. Orlando, you're going to have fun whether it's oh, he's wacky. Your mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's weird, too. And I, I have to ask people who have been reading, you know, I, I tried to start off reading that Spider Man 2099 stuff. I didn't get the fun. I think that he likes the DC characters and the Silver Age feel a little more than what might be over at Marvel. But it might be me. Maybe it's the same. But maybe. I don't know. Do you think he'd make a good editor? Because it seems Maybe. like you know, he loves the references, he loves the deep cuts, he has a pretty good knowledge of DC Universe. Like I said, I had no idea who the hell Helena Kosmatov was. I had a Google searcher, and it was just like, well, at least he knows a little bit about Donna. He's funny. It's funny because at one point, the big idea was that Dan DeDio loves this shit too, and that's why he likes Steve Orlando. That's what yeah. actually gave Steve Orlando more of a push when Dan DeDio was around. He might. I mean, he's like one of those guys. At least he knows some continuity. Yeah, I mean, it's like Dennis Culver. Dennis Culver knows the continuity. He just don't can't write a good story. Yeah, I think somebody might be handing him notes. I, I don't understand what the hell that guy's doing. He's just throwing. But again, to do that, because me and Simon talked earlier about the Doom Patrol book, and the Doom Patrol book had people, like, they showed up just to show up in a way that was never explained, and they're just there. They're like, oh, my God, a panel has that. At least in this, it made sense to, hey, Helena, give me a ride, explain she doesn't like Nazis, all that. I thought that that was better played. But overall, we'll go from there. Thanks for joining me, Zach, as always. And we'll go no to find out what my book of the week is. And my book of the week is Action Comics. And it was good. I, it's mainly for the Philip Kennedy Johnson stuff. I ended up thinking the Dan Jurgens Young John stuff was a little down. And the Max Visaggio deal. I could give or take that overall. I'm really there for the Philip Kennedy Johnson stuff that I'm really, really enjoying. So I hope that keeps on going till the end of times is what I have to say. But with all of that said and done, let's get into what we'll talk about next week on next week's show. And remember, two of these books will be picked on the Patreon by the bad asses of the Get Fresh crew to be included in our weekly DC Comics Badass Spotlight episode. I might have some theories up to what that might be, but we have less books this coming up week. Not as many huge books as we've had, though we do end up starting with Batman number 138, part of that Gotham War, and I hear a lot of crazy things going down at the rec center about this one. So everybody stay tuned, but that's the one. We also have Birds of Prey number two. See how that continues on from Kelly Thompson. We have Blue Beetle number two again. Kind of easing in. I did like that first issue. We'll see if it continues to be decent enough. We have everybody's favorite Fire and Ice. Welcome to Smallville number two. The Joker, the man who stopped laughing number 11, a book that I just can't wait till we get done. This is the penultimate issue. Peacemaker tries hard number six. Got in late on that, so unfortunately we weren't around to review every issue of that series. One of my favorite, if not my favorite books right now at DC. Yes, it's a black label, but it really wears that right on its sleeve and gets going with all the naughtiness. I do really, really like it. Uh, And this is the finale 
of the series. I hope that that ends up strongly. Poison Ivy number 15, a book that I just wonder why I keep reviewing, because every time I do, somebody yells at me about it. If I don't like it and you do, that's great. If you like it and I don't, or vice versa, I don't even know what I'm doing here, uh, it's still great. You know, you like what you like and don't have to listen to me to get your opinions. But you could also listen to hear my own opinions and maybe, you know, discuss things. Don't yell at me is what I'm saying. And also Shazam number four. So not as many books. Two of those will be on the badass spotlight. I would say that because of the way things have been going, I would think that Birds of Prey 2 and Blue Beetle number 2 will be on the spotlight. That'd be pretty cool indeed. But I'll be joined maybe by Eric. I don't know. Maybe by some guest hosts. Maybe solo, just like Jenny from Blackpink. You never can tell around these places and parts. So that is all what we will be talking about next week. I hope everybody had more fun this week. Maybe you'll just say I've been having some fun. Why do you keep saying that? But it did kind of get to me with that idea that I thought, yeah, maybe maybe we have to get back to the goofy fun deal. And whether or not the books are good, bad, or indifferent, have fun talking about them. So I hope that everybody did have that fun. Before we leave, I'll go back to all of those places you can find us. But actually, I'll just center on one, our Patreon, where you can help us out for everything that we do. Get a lot of exclusive podcasts, including early access to this podcast and also our weekly DC Comics badass Patreon Spotlight show, as well as a ton of other things. Please go over and check it out at patreon.com slash weird science. And if you go now, you can get a seven-day free trial to actually listen to a bunch of shows, including that Spotlight, see what you think, and if you do like, and I hope you would like it, you then can stick around. But thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody who helped out this week. Check the show notes to all the links to their stuff because they are really helping me out so much by, you know, volunteering their free time to do this nonsense that I end up doing. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Talk to all you weirdos later and see you in seven. You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Sometimes characters change, she was Karen Starr, but now she is Paige, it makes you mad, a bit unstable, Leah Williams isn't quite able to make it work, but don't you mind, when it gets cancelled we'll leave it behind, it won't take long, doesn't belong, this power girl is nothing but wrong. She had renowned on dead and wild, but now she's discount power girl, she had renowned on dead and wild, but now she's Power Girl